the blast from our past network. Hey, this is Tony O'Dell, and you are listening to Zach and Corey on Podcasting After Dark. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, One Dark Night, starring Meg Tilly, Melissa Newman, and Robin Evans. Welcome to a PG-rated episode of Podcasting After Dark. PG in rating only, but we're still going to be R-rated no matter what. Nothing can hold us back, baby. (laughs) Nothing can hold us back. I am the total snackage, Zach. Thank you, Diallo, for giving me that title. I, I will wear it with a badge of honor. And joining me, joining me as always, is my sweet, sexy, bodacious, beautiful Corey Sleazy C. Stevenson. What's happening, Corey? How art thou on this podcasting after Dark Eve? Oh, man. Now that I have one dark night under my belt, I am doing infinitely better than I was previous to having watched it. So, dude, I cannot wait to talk about this movie. It was so much fun, uh, especially starting out, you know, October and everything. Granted, you know, we like to keep things a bit uh, evergreen on the show. We don't kind of really, you know, talk about when things are, but this is a perfect start to October. And I loved every freaking minute of it creepy haunted house sort of mausoleum i guess if you will um this this movie has a little bit of history with me uh it did i saw it when i was a kid on creature feature saturdays yet again tv 20 uh the good old days of of uh matinee cinema that scare that scares the crap out of you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as a kid um watched it back then hadn't hadn't seen it since and then it popped up on i was as as many of you well know i uh, i'm also on two dollar late fee and i was running i do these birthday collages they're they've kind of become uh, infamous if you will like people are really impressed by the the hard work i put into them <laughs> anyways eg daily had a birthday i always try to dig a little deeper than the most popular titles for these different performers. And I was reminded of the fact that she was in One Dark Night. And I pulled some images from that. And it might have been David Irons. He might have commented and like, oh, that's a great movie. Or Dead Alive might have commented and said, oh, that's a great movie. And I'm, I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring this to the pad table someday. So uh, Corey pulled last year, he pulled a PG film in the car yeah. and I said, Oh, I'm going to do a PG movie. I went online, found the code red version of one dark night, the Blu-ray and got it off eBay because it was discontinued, got two copies, was able to get both at a fairly decent price. Um, and wrapped it up, sent it out to Corey, and he never got it because the mail was lost. I thought it was completely lost, never coming back, so I went ahead and found another copy uh, and sent it out to Corey. Meanwhile, two things happened. 
MVD released a Blu-ray version, which is essentially the exact same version as the Code Red. Corey and I offline were talking about it. There's minor tweaks here and there, but overall it's pretty much the same. We'll go into that more in a minute. Uh, and then, miraculously, the package that I sent Corey with One Dark Knight in it showed up on his doorstep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's got two copies. Uh, I went and got the MVD copy as well. And so we've got a between the two of us, we've got like four copies of this movie. Uh, for those of you that are in, that are interested, we may be having a contest, uh, so to speak. Yes. So, so yes, we're we are planning on uh, giving away one of the copies uh, the week that this comes out. So the time you're listening to this, if if it is the week that it came out, then swing on over to our Instagram page and uh, go check out, uh, go look for the contest and everything. And uh, if it's not, if you're listening to this later, well. I I apologize and i hope you uh, <laughs> go and actually get a copy of one dark night because it's a great fucking movie <laughs> it's a great movie and mvd put out a really nice transfer oh, put it, they did they they copied the code red transfer yeah code red so even has the stamp on the on the blu-ray yeah so zach and i were trying to parse out like what the difference is with the mvd and, and like zach just said the mvd blu-ray even has the code red label on it and i know for the code red they went like they scoured and pieced this movie back together with the best quality uh, images, you know, they can find for each scene. You can kind of see some scenes are a little bit better than others quality wise. Um, but I guarantee you MVD just partnered and brought, you know, whatever work Code Red did into it. But I think they did extensive work restoring this film. They did. And, and you know, I'm not dissing MVD when I said, oh, they just took the, the copy no. from. No, I'm not doing that at all. What I am saying is that they, they did a really good job. Uh, you know, to thank Thankfully, MVD put out this copy of this film because otherwise it would have been discontinued and never able to be purchased again outside of eBay. I love when companies take movies that have been discontinued and put out a repressing and it's, uh, you know, 20 bucks or whatever because it's for all the people on eBay that resell their shit. And this is like a really hot button for me that resell their shit at like double or triple the price just to like dig, you know, get a little extra coinage out of it. It's so offensive to me because it's like, I don't want to have to spend all that money, but uh, I really want to get the movie. So now you can. <laughs> and the only thing we can say, too, is that the Code Red has some awesome uh, reversible cover art to it. Uh, it's actually weirdly not the cover that you get when you, like, open the package and, you know, you open the shrink wrap up, you flip it. And it's this awesome artwork that's, like, purple with, like, really cool drawing. That's the only thing that didn't make its way over to the MVD release, although the MVD release does have two slick-looking covers. One is the original cover, just you know, beefed up, made it look a little better. And then there's another one that's more of an art poster. But man, this code red one is gorgeous. And that's what we I, I posted online. So you'll see what that looks like and everything. It's um, beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I do want to address the fact that, you know, this is a PG movie. But David reminded me that over in the UK, this was released as what their, you know, R-rated version stuff is, which is like their 18 and older imprint. So over there, it was released like that. But here... It was uh, PG, and the director, Tommy uh, McLaughlin, he, he does an interview on the Blu-ray. I think it's on the MVD one and the Code Red one, and I watched that today, uh, and it was very insightful. He seemed like a very uh, level-headed kind of person, very, you know, looking back on his career fondly, uh, we, and we will talk about his career, you know, uh, in a little bit, but... 
I highly recommend picking up the Blu-ray, either of them, just to get that documentary, you know, on on him and, and sort of what was the inception of this film and everything. And then some of the trials and tribulations, like why it came, why it was actually PG. He he, uh, uh, and I'll just tell this story really quick. He was trying to make a rated R movie, um, and the fact that like he they released this in like '81, which there was a glut of like insanely violent slasher films. The MPAA was kind of like numb, so they see this and they're like, "Well, there's no really there's no cussing, there's barely any nudity, if any, uh, and and the the gore it's not really gory, it's more freaky." So they gave it a PG, and you know the director kind of laments that a little bit because he's like, "Well, it kind might have hurt us a little bit because people were like, well, it's not." All so what do I care? But it's still freaky as hell. I don't think uh, I don't think the PG rating diminishes the quality and the awesomeness that is One Dark Night. Yeah, you know you're right. PG, it's 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 really interesting. Like I said, I chose this movie because it was it was a PG film. There are so many PG movies or PG thirteen films that shown today would definitely garner an R rating. Yeah. Um, There's going to be a few more down the pad pipe that are going to come from me that are either PG or PG-13. So look forward to those down the road pad fans um <laughs> yeah but but yeah one dark night it that the the extras are great uh there was an interview with eg daily and it's so funny because it's like you can tell she maybe didn't want to I get the impression that she didn't want to talk about One Dark Night all that much. There was another <laughs> movie she brings up in the documentary that she's more fond of or the interview that she's fond of, mm. which is fine. It's all good. It's a Pee Wee's Big Adventure or whatever. No, it's it's this it's this musical that she did that um, the name escapes me. I can pull it up in a minute. But uh, she's like really proud of that. And you're like, well, that has nothing to do with One Dark Night. I don't know. She didn't have too many memories, actually, about One Dark Night. Which doesn't surprise me. Uh, this film... She's not in it that much. Like, you know, of the, no. the, the sisters, uh, the antagonists, she's not act, like she's not quite one of them. Or not quite an antagonist in this movie, you know? She's not... Yeah, she's not. And in, in, in she kind of... She's the only one out of the three that kind of has an arc where, uh, she, or, you know, her character changes dramatically. But we'll get to that, too. Of course. Um, shit, man. Let's just jump into it. Oh, really quick. What's your history of this movie up until about two weeks ago? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing. Absolutely. To the point where I didn't even know this movie existed, although David will say that we we talked about it. I think he mentioned it on something, one of the watch lists that, that we did. And, and David, I apologize. We've... I produce I, I produce and edit so much content that I have a hard time keeping it all straight. Or if it was something we talked about offline, but David uh, did I think talk to us about this at one point about how these looked like rotting, stinking corpses, and I I agree and and I love that. So apparently it had come across my radar at some point, but I didn't really remember it. And then online I open it, I do my reveal video and everything, you know, and literally that day one of our our pals uh, Cyberdyne, she's she's fun. She posts some awesome some uh, uh, movie stuff. She's got great taste in films. You know, yep, she sure posted does. this and I was like, well, like, and I literally, like I said, never heard of it until that day. Then she posts it and I'm like, are you reading one of our minds? What is happening right now? How well, is one dark night? Like all of a sudden just flooding my peripheral vision, you know, she's on the same wavelength as us, dude, because she posted something else uh, that kind of coincided with 
something on Instagram. I forget exactly what it was, but yeah, shout out to her big time. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we know she listens and, and shout out to David and dead alive because both of them, uh, respectively, uh, had brought up one dark night within the past year. And I knew we were going to watch this film. I had intended a year ago to break down this movie. So I, it was all, it was on my radar and I'm like, just get ready guys. Just yeah. get ready. Cause it's coming, baby. It's coming. It was supposed to be closer to the car. We, they yeah. were supposed to be much more of a, you know, a, a tied together experience. So, you know, but I mean, Hey, I'm glad we're doing it now. And uh, one last shout out, Crystal. I know you uh, watched the movie today for the first time. So I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you like our review. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, really quick, that movie that E.G. Daly brings up on her interview is called Street Music from 1981. Um, and, you know, it's a musical, so musical drama. Sure. It's, it, but she's very fond of it. Uh, give me Wacko any day or give me, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous stains any day. But that's my own cup of tea. One Dark Night came out in 1982. It's directed by Tom McLaughlin. And written by Tom McLaughlin. You want to talk a little bit about what you know him from, sir? Yes, of course. Well, first off, uh, uh, we all know that he is the director of Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Yeah, baby. That's freaking awesome. He got that job uh, because of this. And then uh, apparently he kind of like did uh, uh, sort of segued into uh, Sometimes They Come Back. And doing that, because that got released as a TV movie here in the States, that kind of actually opened up the door for him to start doing a bunch of TV movies. And he was like, you know, it, it, honestly, guys and gals, the interview is fantastic. He's very thoughtful. But bottom line is he was like, you know what? I can be a director that, you know, tries to work once every few years or I can work all the time as a TV movie director. And he actually kind of like made some good stuff happen in the TV movie uh, uh, realm. So, and he talks about it fondly. You would think that people would, you know, a lot of times these directors, feature film directors, they don't talk about their, their TV work fondly, but he's very open, seems to be very open about his career. So, I mean, he seemed like a very interesting guy. We might have to get him on the show. I would absolutely love to. I mean, he directed Date with an Angel, which, uh, yeah. which, and I love that movie. It came out in 87. Phoebe Cates is in it as well, and Emmanuel Bayart. Good movie. Uh, that's he's got a pretty cool resume. Freddy's yeah. Nightmares, Friday the 13th, the series. He directed four episodes of that. Yes, he did. And, and he also talks about, like, it was interesting for him to, like, go from, like, doing actual, mon like, doing monster movies to then talking about actual monsters, meaning, like, serial killers and stuff like that. And he was like, look, that kind of stuff actually really freaks me out, too. So, you know, he I think he yeah. kind of put that that love into it, you know. Um, but, yeah, so he, he never – I don't think he ever intended to be a direct a TV, a TV movie director. But, honestly, it's what he became, and I don't think he has any problem with it, it seems. I don't have any problem with it either. It's good stuff. So, yeah. Go. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Sure, sure, um, sure. <laughs> let's talk about the cast. Starting at the top, Meg Tilly plays Julie – if you don't know who Meg Tilly is, why the hell are you listening to our show? <laughs> I mean, she's a legendary actress. Yeah, bought Body Snatchers in 93, but uh, The Big Chill, Psycho 2. Psycho 2 is great, directed yes. by uh, Tom Holland, by the way. Yes, listen to our interview with Tom Holland. We actually talk 
more about uh, Psycho 2 and, uh, and and Cloak and Dagger than we probably do, you know, some of the, the other stuff. Um, he and, wrote it. He didn't direct it. Sorry. Right. Richard Franklin directed. Tom Holland wrote it, but very fond of those two films. Right. And, and Psycho 2 uh, has, has people... It's one of those movies where... One of those horror movies that I think has built up more uh, um, positivity over the years. You know, uh, people look back on it very fondly. Um, so I wanted to mention, I wanted to talk about The Big Chill. You know, Zach and I, we talk about genre movies on this podcast all the time. And I got to add to that, I sometimes really love, like, drama character movies. And I don't watch them all the time. And I think sometimes I like them because... I, I'm not always watching them. So sometimes I get in this ravenous mood for something that's just pure drama, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, uh, Michael Clayton, whatever that movie was with uh, uh, George Clooney. I like that Michael one, Clayton. you know, but yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and then, and I remember watching The Big Chill when I was like in high school. And, you know, it's not cool to like, like, you know, weird, like, dramas like that or whatever but i freaking loved that movie dude now i haven't seen it since so i don't really know how well it holds up or if how different it would be under my older eyes you know but when i was a kid i was like this is an interesting film yeah i I hate people when they judge like that why do you watch that so stupid you know if you want more insight listen to two dollar late fee because i do a whole rant on that on that show. <laughs> if you like something, you like something. Like, you know, get the fuck out of here with, you know, people go, it's an, it's an adult movie. Fuck off. Like, seriously. Oh, are I, you a big my, chill fan? Yeah. And I, Lawrence Kasdan directed it, who did Silverado, and he did uh, Grand Canyon, which is actually another fu- uh, film that I love of his, which is kind of the, uh, at the time, more contemporary version of Big Chill, like an adult version of Big Chill. Yeah. And, um, and he also wrote freaking Empire Strikes Back. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's a really talented dude. He also directed, um, what's the ass eating movie from uh, Stephen King? The Oh, did he directed um, Dreamcatcher? Yeah, Ass Catchers. Yeah, <laughs> he did that movie. That movie but, was a but, wild ride. <laughs> but seriously, and 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 I'm not to go off on a rant, but I'm going to do it. I said, Dennis Miller. Mur, mur, mur. Fuck anyone that criticizes the stuff you love. If you love it, you love it. Yeah. Period. Like, yeah. everyone's entitled to their own opinion, you know. But if it's if it if you like something and you get start getting shit on about it. That's that person's problem, not yours. 100%. Just saying. Yeah. Um, Melissa Newman, you recognize her for sure for her screen, on-screen appearances, but she's probably more mem- more memorable to our audience because of one particular character on a cartoon. What's okay. the cartoon? She plays a Dana Sterling on Robotech cartoon, which was... Diallo literally just went, oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like and, and like Zach says, she was also in uh The Undefeated and uh Starsky and Hutch and whatnot. So she you know, she's done some stuff. Uh, most of the actors in here haven't actually done a lot, sadly. No. Um one of them I'm kinda happy about because I can't stand her. But uh Robin Evans uh <laughs> plays Carol. I'm only saying this because she really is, guys. Like she, she's a total bitch in this movie. Yeah, and she's a great one. She's a great one. Yeah, she's, she's great a great at villain. It. Yeah, she's a great bully jerk. She, um, she does what she's supposed to do, you know, and yep. she looks damn good doing it too. <laughs> she does well. <laughs> she she was a model, you so you know. <laughs> like, this, this, again, I'll, I'll just say it now. This movie taps into my why I hated high school so much. Peer pressure. Yeah, it, the, it's 
it's kind of like the uh, the peer pressure horror movie that of my of pick and versus a teen exploitation. Yeah, you know? um, she was in Rage of Honor, which with Sho Kasugi. If you've never seen that one, Arrow I think put out a Blu-ray of that. It might be discontinued, but it is definitely worth picking up because okay. um, that's a good one. Really good. It's like Pray for Death. Esque. She was also in uh, Fire in the Night, 1985, uh, by Canon. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like in an episode of Hunter, so you know. Yeah, nice. Bow! I hear that Hunter sound. Hunter sound pops up uh, uh, on my radar a lot. So, oh, you, and, so cool. and we always talk about it. we're gonna we're gonna definitely do it on TV Obscura one of these days. It's gotta come up. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So AJ Foster uh, plays Kitty. Sorry, no. Leslie Spites plays kitty she drives me nuts in this movie but i'll get to that later yeah she drives I me know. nuts yeah nuts i know well, and rather... i have an answer by the way for the the yellow toothbrush it oh, was written into it by the director interesting choice <laughs> because he knew somebody who did that thought it was an endearing trait yeah should no, I, I wish it was dropped i do wish it was dropped Probably the only thing that drives me nuts about this movie is that toothbrush and her performance. I'm just yeah. not a fan at all. No. At all. No. Uh, but she played AJ on GoBots. Yeah. Come on, GoBots, baby. I love GoBots. Another Diallo favorite. So, Diallo, if you're listening, buddy, woo, this this episode's for you, my man. Yeah, for sure. He's probably buying this movie right now. <laughs> she was also on Simon and Simon, too, so. There you go. Simon, 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 <laughs> Simon. Um Donald Houghton plays Doc Stetter, and he was in The China Syndrome. Great movie, by the way. If you've never seen The China Syndrome, China Syndrome is, oh, it's so good. I love, like, environmental thrillers. Like, oh, yeah. This could happen. Oh, yeah, me thing. too. Um, but he was in Dances with Wolves, and he was in The Bodyguard, and he was in Up in Smoke. <laughs> and he was in Alien Nation, a show that we covered on TV Obscura. Oh! Oh! And he was in the Rune Stone, a movie we'll never cover. Oh! <laughs> and he was in Hot to Trot, a movie we will never cover. Oh! oh but I love that movie. I know, oh. me too, but we'll never cover it. It was. I, I love me some Bobcat Goldthwait, so you know. <laughs> I love Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, and E.G. Daly, credited as Elizabeth Daly at the time. She plays Leslie. You guys know who E.G. Daly is. We don't need to talk about who she is. She's phenomenal. She's a legend. Um, we love her. She's great. She's great. She's great. Great. She it's one of the first, not the first movie she's ever done. One of the first movies. Interesting choices throughout this as well, like quirky things that she does, which I actually really dig. I think it makes her stand out even more. Yeah. And, I really um, liked her as well in it. So good. David Mason Daniels plays Steve. There's always going to be a Steve in a horror film or a... <laughs> Or he, I don't know, Scott or oh, Craig. Or... Oh, Steve. Oh, there's always got to be the worst, the worst actor in a, in a low-budget horror movie. <laughs> he's and... a good-looking, he's a hunky boy. <laughs> he's a hunky boy. He's, Steve's a hunky boy. Um, but boy, oh boy, can he not act his way out of a paper bag. Well, probably that's why he doesn't have a profile pic on IMDb. Um, he, he's pr- He's... He's credited as being in Tag, the assassination game. That's worth seeking out. It's a it's a fun thriller directed by Nick Castle of mm. Last Starfighter fame and, of course, Halloween and yada, yada, and The Boy Who Could Fly. Um, go check that one out. 
but he's a student in that. I doubt he has a big role, but who knows? Maybe we'll be pleasantly surprised. Um, <laughs> two other little teeny roles. One is Kevin Peter Hall, our boy from Rest <laughs> yeah. in Peace, uh, the Predator, Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, but obviously, as everyone who's listened to our TV Obscura episode, Misfits of Science, baby. Yep. Uh, plays Eddie. Very small, teeny tiny role, but still memorable. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't even, uh, uh, I mean, I recognized him, didn't look it up on IMDb, and I was like, is that? And then, yeah, I confirmed it after I watched the movie. I was like, okay, which is ironic that he's playing basketball because his character in Misfits of Science couldn't play basketball, so. <laughs> that's really funny. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, um, yeah well, yeah, that that's really interesting. And then uh, last but not least, playing Alan, uh, Adam West. <laughs> oh, man. Why don't you do this? Uh, constipated (laughs) apparently uh tommy mclaughlin didn't quite want to uh uh use uh, adam west in this role he wasn't his his first choice uh but he found out through i guess a mutual friend uh maybe it was the casting director that adam west was just having a hard time just getting work because uh of of you know, the Batman stuff and everything, obviously. That sucks. Yeah, and and so he was kind of, like, a little bit down, and I think Thomas McLa- Tommy McLaughlin, who also has some acting credits under his belt, too, we'll talk about that in one second, I think he felt kind of uh, a little bit sorry for a- uh, Adam West and put him as the in the role. He does a good job in it. Like, he really does. He's not doing yeah, anything crazy, but it's so hard to separate his voice and his cadence and everything like that from you know, Batman and everything, but I do think he's really trying to just do a a straight role here and nothing goofy about it, but thank God for Family Guy. I think that's where it it really landed for him, you know, later in life as the mayor. Yeah, I feel so bad for those. I really do. I feel so bad for those older actors who were uh, performing at their peak during a time when you got, um, what do they call that, where they... Were you blacklisted, sort of? Yeah, pigeonholed. There you go. Yeah, definitely get like shoehorned into like a role or something. Yeah, you know, William Shatner is the same way. Adam West, and it's such a bummer. I I feel like Patrick Stewart was one of the few to break that mold. It seemed like the late, the mid to late nineties is when that changed. When he was on Star Trek: The Next Generation, everybody's like, "That's Picard. It's always going to be Picard." (laughs) And then you're like, "No, he's actually." That's Professor X. It's always going to be Professor X. No, he's got other things he can do, too. Yeah. Um, I feel, yeah, you know, they, they and they did not get paid the same way that actors get paid now. So for him to be looking for work and, and ending, ending up having to do, like, Lady Chatterley's Lovers and uh, a bunch of other schlocky B-movies, I guess this would can be considered a schlocky B-movie. Um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't consider that, but I could see people saying that because of the, I don't know, just the budget and, and the overall tone in the movie. But he's oh. good. He's really good. Yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. Like, he's, he's, he's doing fine. a great job. It's just... It's just we're all his voice is so distinctive and we're all so used to it. Um, I will say Tommy McLaughlin, um, and I think his credits go. He goes usually goes by Tom McLaughlin, but I think he also goes by Tommy. Uh, uh, he has also done a, quite a bit of acting as well, but mostly like some some behind like weird stuff like oh this is a person's hand or like guard over here or something. But I think one of the biggest ones is 
he played Captain Star in the Black Hole, that black robot uh, uh, bad guy on on the ship. Uh, not the famous floating red one that we all love, but like you know the captain of the the, the guards or something. Uh, I haven't seen the Black Hole in forever. That movie freaked me out as a kid. Uh, but that's wild. I just watched it recently. Oh. It's really it's it's really slow. I remember it's, it being boring, but I also be, remember being freaked out by it though. But it, uh, did, did, so was the Black Guard? Was Captain Star in it a lot? Yeah, so he his more his more memorable scene is when um, I forget Roddy McDowell does the voice of the robot on of the of the the, the, the space crew. Yeah, um, kind of the beat up looking not not the yeah. beat up robot, but um, one of the little bobblehead ones, and he has like a shoot off with Captain Star. Captain Star is like shooting the skeets in the sky or whatever, and uh, and then Roddy McDowell's robot comes in and blasts them even better. And like they have like a back and forth together. It's a it's a funny scene for sure. But yeah, you know, Bodie, uh, my son Bodie is probably one of the more patient kids that I know. Sincerely, when it comes to watching movies, he will sit through things that are pretty bad. Uh, case in point, the Fantastic Four 2015 <laughs> movie. And we at the end of it, we were both like, this was bad. But we sat through it. I think we made it about 30 or 40 minutes into Black Hole. And he's like, this is really slow. And it's kind of boring yeah it is the tone is cool that movie will be a great one to a uh for for you Corey, to get totally stoned and watch because you probably fall asleep (laughs) uh or b if you're having a party and you've got music going on and 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 you've got some once a cool visual in the background where you're not watching it it's just there put that on yeah I, i agree with both of those statements well, enough about black holes. Uh, <laughs> let's get to a dark nights. <laughs> sure, and uh, let's launch this bad boy into the sky. Carl Raymar died of an apparent heart attack, but the bizarre condition of his apartment and the true cause of death of the missing girls remains a mystery at this hour. Do you have any idea why your father murdered those girls? There's no proof that he murdered them. Please, no here you go. Julie ain't no sister yet, Kitty. Well, she's pads every test you've given her. For your information, Leslie, I'm far from finished with her initiation. I've got to prove I can do it. All she wants to do is show how weak and chicken you are. Yeah, and that's all the more reason why I won't back down. So I'm supposed to stay out here all night? <laughs> of course not. You're staying in there. Mama Leah? Uh-huh. We'll be back in the morning to make sure you stayed in there all night long. Mrs. McKenna, my name is Samuel Dockstetter, and I'm a feature writer for the world of the occult. Do you know anything about bioenergy? It's the electromagnetic force in all living things. Carl Raymar was one of the only true practitioners of telekinesis in the world. Raymar? He could move things with his mind. He was a genius in his field until... They found a whole bunch of dead girls in his apartment. Doing some hereditary studies, we found that members of the same family often possess similar psychic powers. Considering the strength of his powers, it would be interesting to follow up. Maybe. What happened to 
the mausoleum. The movie's a cold open. There's no, like, um, you know, what do you call that? The title card. Well, there is a title card, but there's no, like, opening New World Pictures or anything yeah, like that. No production yeah. company behind it. Um, there's Lightning Thunder, One Dark Night on a Mausoleum. And you're it's, it's the Hollywood Cemetery Mausoleum. Uh, and you're cutting through sections of the cemetery and gravestones that have no significance whatsoever, so I won't describe what, who they are. But there's lightning flashing while the credits roll, and it cuts through different sections of the mausoleum and the graveyard cemetery. It's, it's a great, a great uh, vibe to open the movie with. Yeah, great tone. The music is creepy. Um, you're not sure where it's going to go, but it's a, yeah, it's a great way to start what is going to be overall a very dark film. Mm-hmm. One dark film. <laughs> <laughs> um, from there, you cut to a mansion still at night and you're cutting to uh, from the from the outside of the mansion you go into a bedroom uh there's a couple in bed the man is asleep the woman is awake and she's kind of tossing and turning that's olivia played by melissa newman uh she is kind of having visions while she's awake she's seeing a young girl uh sorry young woman uh on a street corner hitchhiking uh Guy pulls over, she gets in the car, and they drive off. Um, then it cuts to the woman like standing in like a either in a in an alleyway or an apartment or something, and the man is moving his hand closer towards her, and she starts like saying, "Please, please don't, please don't." And then Olivia awakes from a dream that she was probably in and screams. Yeah, and her her husband Adam West can sleep through anything apparently. I took a Valium before we went to bed. (laughs) I just passed a gold stone. (laughs) From there, this is going to be my running gag through the whole thing, so strap in, everybody. Strap in. (laughs) Um, From there, we cut to the front of a, it's daytime now, uh, a county corner van driving down the road uh it's in hollywood it looks it seems to be in hollywood yeah it looks downtown like something LA. yeah downtown or something there's four corner vans driving one after the other pulling up to a hollywood hotel uh people are outside of the hotel all gathered around and you hear uh as the paramedics are kind of making their way into the hotel you hear a captain lewis talking to uh a, a unit at the scene. He's like, this is Captain Lewis. So any unit at the scene. And then Sergeant Todd, you never see these two. No, no, way. it's, it's, it's a voiceover thing, which is, I, I'm going to, I'm going to gush about this scene once you're done laying it out, because I love this whole entire scene. Yeah. So I, I wrote all this down. There's a lot of like, what do you call it? Exposition. Yeah. Yeah. Throughout this whole thing, um, throughout the whole movie, really. And this is one particular scene. So, the uh, the sergeant is talking to the captain 
and uh, the captain's like, who's in charge there? And then he says, oh, Lieutenant Hellinger from Homicide, sir. I can get him. And the captain's like, well, where is he? He's up in the building at the apartment. He's with Baker of the photo unit. I'll see if I can get him there. They're going back and forth, right? While the scene, while basically you're following uh, all the paramedics into the, the building and up the stairs, this whole thing is playing as they're all walking and doing, you know, not talking, doing stuff. Yeah, it's a cool, it's like they're narrating what happened, what transpired. And while the paramedics are making their way up the stairs with the gurneys, there's like two paramedics. Yeah, and Um, and the the scene, the way it starts, the music is fantastic. It's all slow motion, and all the the vans, kind of the ambulances pull up at the same time. All their doors open together at the same time. This whole entire scene is so well edited, so well shot, so well composed. It honestly it's it's it might be the highlight of the movie. I loved it. But the way that they build up to the reveal of the room and and the with the the dialogue that Zach's going to keep sort of elaborating on, t- telling us kind of what's going on. I love that shit. I love the shit where you don't see it sometimes. They just tell you about it. And the whole time you're waiting to see like what the f- what are we walking into, you know? Yeah, yeah, we don't really know yet. All we know is there's four corner vans there, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a shit ton of people outside the hotel, and you don't know why. Um, and and as, as the Captain Lewis is inquiring to Sergeant Todd, um, they're going back and forth. Captain Lewis is like, you know, do you know who found the bodies? And Sergeant Todd says, yeah, a guy from the gas company. Anybody question him? Yeah, uh, 10-4. And he's like... You have any story to tell? Not really. He's just shooken up his hell, sir. And then the captain's like, what's the crowd situation? And Sergeant Todd says, well, it's getting bigger, but nothing we can't handle. Uh, and the captain says, report said there were six girls in the apartment. Is that right? That's right, Captain. And an old man, early to middle 70s. Had a hell of a run. <laughs> uh, he had a good run. <laughs> he had a good run. <laughs> any, any apparent cause of death? No, none. What's that? No, sir. They haven't gone over the girls' bodies yet, but the apartment's, well, strange. Come back with that. And this cuts back to the paramedics going up. I would do want to point out there's this weird-looking kind of albino-looking dude outside of the hotel with sunglasses on, and the camera focuses on, in on him a couple of times, and you know he's important, but you don't know who he is just yet. Yeah, and you know he's got a horrible haircut, but you don't know who he is. Yes, um, they keep going back and forth the, the, between the captain and the sergeant, uh, and the, and the sergeant's like, well, the condition of the apartment is well bizarre. And the captain's like, what's that supposed to mean? It's a little hard to explain. You'll, you'll have to see it. All right. We'll just keep things buttoned down and I'm less than five minutes away. Roger. And after that, you see this odd dude with the sunglasses walk off. Paramedics go up the stairs. They go into the apartment and the walls are covered with the weirdest things. So there's silverware in the walls. There's chairs pushed into the walls, crushed into the walls. There's pots and pans crushed into the walls, almost like something energy-wise threw them into the walls. The walls are cracked open, um, and then there's a body on the ground that's covered up. And as a when I'm watching this for the first time, and guys and gals, you know, 
I don't do any research if I've never seen it. So I didn't even read the back of it, nothing. But right away, I was like, oh, I get this. I know what's happening. This is an X-Men movie. This is like, this is, is <laughs> as if like Professor X or, or Jean Grey were evil, you know, or something like that. But I was like, I get it. And, and Zach is like, not doing it justice. There isn't like one knife or fork in the wall. There are thousands of pieces of debris everywhere. It looks like you couldn't even stand in there with them all flying around, you know, which is which is awesome. I mean, the the set decoration with that, it tells the entire story. And that's what's really fucking cool. But it gets even freakier and cooler when the paramedic looks over at the closet. So the paramedic looks over at the closet from where the dead body is in the center of the apartment. And there are six women dead in the closet. A pile of dead women. A pile of babes. (laughs) And and their eyes are open and they're freaky looking. and, And they're just like, they're kind of stuffed in like a little closet. Like you're expecting them to maybe be like on beds or something, but they're, it's a pile of dead women. And you're like, damn, that's fucking freaky. It's just, it's just eerie it just makes your stomach like sick and right away i'm talking like we're five minutes into this this film and i am a hundred percent on board at this point it's it's really creepy uh and i have to stress again that this movie's rated pg yeah and 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 the fact that it just from what Corey's saying it just it basically slipped away uh slipped through the mpaa's you know, radar because it didn't have the the gore or the nudity or whatever. Uh, but it's intense. It's freaky to see yeah. six dead bodies on a in in the closet. Yeah, and l- let me reiterate: a pile of dead girls, a yeah, pile, pile of them, pile of dead girls. So after that shocking moment, the the body of the seventy year old man is lifted up on the gurney, and as he's lifted up on the gurney, his hand falls out, and when it does, it hits the ground and he emits an electric shock which blasts a giant hole in the wall. That's fucking <laughs> awesome. I'm like, this is awesome. This is, again, this is some X-Men shit. We're watching <laughs> a fucking X-Men horror movie, you know? As if, like, what if Professor X was bad, essentially? This, this is what this is. Yeah, yeah. What if What if you discovered this amazing superpower and wanted to use it for nefarious reasons? Well, we'll find out. Yeah, and then they do touch on it a little bit later. You oh, know, they that totally. He goes, yeah, that he goes down it. a path. But uh, but yeah, so right out of the gate, though, I mean, you ch- this is all the information we have right now. And I'm just like, okay, okay. I did not see psychic abilities being a part of this movie. No, but it's it's a big part the top of it <laughs> yeah it's the top of the pile of yeah, dead girls <laughs> of dead girls and uh so from there you cut back to the cemetery it's like a, P- a pov shot through the hollywood forever cemetery up to the mausoleum panning out different parts of the mausoleum and then from there you cut to a big scream and carol and kitty have been scared by leslie at at school they're all wearing these like radical uh, satin jackets that say oh. sisters on the back. It's yeah. so badass. It's yeah, it's so awesome. badass. And she's like, oh, boy, did I scare you guys? And Carol's like, yeah, so what did it win, you jerk? And she's like, satisfaction, and that's plenty good enough. And Carol's just, Carol's like, oh, she's so such a great villain. She's like, Leslie, grow up. And she she's also clearly like, you know, 26 years old, playing a high schooler. Like, yes. Like everybody in the 80s. It just, it happens. Yes, so Leslie is the alpha dog. Uh, sorry, Carol's the alpha dog. Leslie is like, 
you know, the, the, the jokester. And then Katie's kind of like, the, you guys want to cut class today? <laughs> yeah. She's kind of the doofus. She's the doofus of the three. She yeah. really is. She is. It's just it's calling it as I see it. No, I mean, it's I mean, it's nothing against her as an actor. I mean, she she read her lines. It's just the way the character was written. Yeah, she's, so. a, she's a doofus. Yeah, she's and just then, kind of the, 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 the she's kind of like the tag along one. You know, she doesn't really have much her own sort of thoughts and everything. Yeah big time follower yeah and carol's like i'm i'm cutting class jeff elka scored some great weed he says it's gold <laughs> <laughs> and leslie's like he always says it's gold and carol's like i'm gonna meet him later behind the bleachers cut to steve and julie uh sitting nearby and <laughs> hold on cut to steve giving julie like a carton of of milk or like one of the school you know things of milk and the first thing i thought i was like here you go so you can spend your entire afternoon farting yourself away <laughs> are you saying she's lactose intolerant or something? aren't we all <laughs> <laughs> yes yes we yes, are yes we are <laughs> well and, and and it's it's a kind of a it's silly and stupid moment like she he pulls out a straw and and julie's like oh a straw mm-hmm. you know yeah. we're introduced to julie and steve and their boyfriend and girlfriend and meanwhile, the sisters are watching them, and Carol looks pissed. She's just, like, totally just infuriated, and you know something's up with that, and you'll get you'll find out why in a minute. Um, Steve's, like, you know, playing cutesy with her. He's like, hear me, here you go, my queen. Oh, hang on. And Julie's like, oh, queen. She pulls out a straw. She's like, oh, a straw. <laughs> and then Kitty, Kitty's like, hey, Carol, check out your new sister. And... Carol's like, Julie ain't no sister yet, Kitty. And Leslie's like, yeah, well, she passed every test you've given her. Carol's like, for your information, Leslie, I'm far from finished with her initiation. Well, I see Doug still brands his animals. And... Yeah, because... Because, uh... um, Leslie's got a giant... Yeah, so Doug is Leslie's boyfriend. And uh, you never see him, but Leslie... She makes a, uh, a comment to Leslie because Leslie's got a giant hickey on her neck. A, a giant hickey that in tomorrow, you know, tomorrow night or whatever, it will be gone. You won't. It won't be there anymore. It will be gone. I, I wish they would have put it back there. But that is. You remember when hickeys were a thing? Yeah. Like you suck on the person's neck. It's kind of a. It's a weird thing. It is. It's. It's like. It's like branding. It's. Yeah. It's. It's. It's interesting. But I mean, when you're a kid or you know in high school or something. It's hot, I guess. But yeah, nowadays, it's like, no, no, no. <laughs> Do you ever try to give yourself a hickey? <laughs> On, like, your arm or something? Yeah. Like, no, but my friend... Yes, you joke- did, you liar. <laughs> no, but jokingly, one of my friends gave his girlfriend one on her forehead. He, like, like went down, oh, he, like, sucked on her forehead. And she's like, ah! And then she had a freaking hickey on her forehead for, like, a day. <laughs> oh, shit. Did, did, her, did her cerebral cortex come out? I think so. Kind of like uh, from beyond. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, it did. Yes. I tried to give myself a hickey on my arm. Didn't work out very well. <laughs> Probably my arm hair got in the way. I mean, dude, I've never tried it. Look at all the arm hair I've got on there, dude. I'll be picking arm hair out of my teeth for days. <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever practice kissing the mirror? No, dude. No, not at all. I don't know who would ever do that. <laughs> as, as Zach looks down in a way. No, I'm back at my back notes. to my notes now. Okay, so anyways, <laughs> back, to, back to one dark. <laughs> I need to look back at my notes. <sighs> Passed another stone. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so she's given. So she, like, Leslie's like, well, you're giving every pet test. And, and so Carol is, like, pissed off. And so she takes it out on Leslie. 
you know, and she disses her with the, I see Jug still brands his animals. So she basically called Leslie an animal. Yeah, pretty much. And, and Katie's like, ooh. And, uh, and Leslie kidding. is like, now Leslie's pissed. And she's like, she looks at Carol and she's like, I never saw Steve act that way with you when you're with him. And then you realize now Carol used to be with Steve. There you go. Carol's like, yeah, well, that's why I dumped him. And Leslie's like, I thought he dumped you. And Carol's like, well, you thought wrong. Besides, I never really care for that jerk anyway. Ugh. And Leslie's like, oh, no. <laughs> Just going back and forth. And the whole time, like, seriously, what's playing in the back of my head uh, is the White Christmas Sisters song. Sisters, da, da, sister, you know, the two, the two, uh, when they do it together. I, hey, I guys, I love White Christmas. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> it's a great movie. Well, I never saw that movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. And All I right. never gave myself a kiss in the mirror. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Leslie's like, you know. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Carol's like, I never care for that jerk. And Leslie's like, then why are you putting Julie through all this? You're jealous. And Kitty starts laughing. And then Carol looks at Kitty and she's like, Kitty, shut up and take that stupid thing out of your mouth. Because Kitty has a fucking yellow toothbrush in her mouth as like a cool accessory that she sucks on through this whole goddamn movie. And so every single time in my notes, I've written down, stupid toothbrush stupid every well, time she's got the toothbrush even according to um, uh, the director mclaughlin even she the actress was like do you really want me to do this and he's like yeah it's 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 a character thing you know what i mean like i you know and and he had that personal story which i think is why he really leaned into it because it was a personal thing for him but Honestly, she he said, he said, the director said, he goes, she got to set and was and he handed her the toothbrush. She was like, Wait, we're really doing this? This is really happening? And but she was like, Okay, I mean, you're you're the boss, you're the director. If you say so, I think somebody, the producer, should have said no to that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've all known things that people have done in school that are quirky and you're like, why did you do that? Doesn't mean it would translate well for a wide audience. It's, it's a really distracting um, accessory throughout this whole movie. And when he tells the story of it, he kind of, it it almost as if uh, he says that his friend, would do it when they kind of also walked home late at night and stuff, and because it would kind of be like, you know, if somebody saw them, they'd be like, why do they have a tooth? Well, then they must be crazy, you know what I mean? And kind of leave her alone because of it, you know, because you would assume she's crazy. Again, it shouldn't have been in the movie. I think he should have dropped it. I think the actress should have gone to her agent and be like, I'm really going to have a fucking yellow toothbrush sticking out of my face the entire fucking movie. I I mean, I feel bad for her that the actress had to have to deal with that. You know, it would have, it would have been better if she wore Groucho Marx nose and mustache. Great. Like, you know, like like, anything. And and you're, it's, you're an actress. You got to be able to like talk and everything. So she got to take it out of her mouth when she talks. And it's just like, you know what? It's not as cool as having a fucking cigarette in your mouth. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yep. I agree. So, uh, this is really where you get the bulk of why the rest of this movie is going to go the way it is. Because Carol's like, after she says, you know, take that stupid toothbrush out of your mouth or whatever. Uh, she's like, you know, talking about Julie, she wanted to be a sister long before me and Steve split up. And Leslie's like, well, it sure seems like a lot of trouble for someone you don't even want in. And Carol's like, it's no trouble at all. Besides, I have a new test for her tonight. And this one will for sure be the one. So you're getting the sense of like, okay. They're going to terrorize this girl uh, who, who, who 
her only like basic fault is that she's dating the guy, uh, the the ex of this, you know, girl gang leader. But like, I my one of my biggest problems with this entire movie doesn't take away from my enjoyment of it. Yeah, is yeah. is why Julie wants to be in the sisters. And here's the thing: it's there's weak. only those three. There are no more. They're not like a big gang and you don't know what their relationship was like prior but like her Zach will tell us late and very soon in next scene yeah. or so um, we'll find out like her motivation and I'm using air quotes that you guys can't see because her motivation is I don't like being called chicken and and that's why she wants to be in this sisters group the hardest thing to get past in this movie is Julie aka Meg Tilly's motivation for the hero's journey here yeah yeah, I mean, you know, we armchair quarterback, we could create a much better scenario, but yeah, it's what they went with, yeah. whether it works or not. That's it just gets you to the, the, the overall plot of the film. And I think that's what they seem to be more concerned with. <clears throat> I, th- I think so. And, and as a movie that's kind of like a real brisk 90 minutes, I, ultimately, I don't have a problem with it, but I still would like a little bit more motivation from Julie. But whatever, we'll move past it. And Zach will mention it in very soon. What what you know what she says and everything. Exactly. Yeah. From there, we cut back to the mausoleum, and now at the mausoleum, Hollywood Forever Cemetery, they are having a funeral. There is a reporter who's basically giving the play-by-play. A reporter, reporter named Larry Carroll. I love yeah. him. He sounds amazing, and I could have him read me the news any night. Yeah, I'm gonna destroy what he says in just a minute because I'm not Larry Carroll. Uh, but but he says <laughs> no one is. <laughs> the body of famed Russian psychic Karl Ray Marcevich, or Raymar as he came to be known, is about to be entombed here. But the feeling among those with, but the feeling among those with me here today is not one of mourning but of mystery, curiosity, and anger. That anger coming from the close friends of the girls who were found dead. And as he's going on and on, uh, car pulls up, and it's Olivia and Alan, and they arrive, and the reporters swarm them immediately. And of they're course. Trying to get in, they're trying to get into the mausoleum, uh, you know, and they're yelling at her like, Miss McKenna, Miss McKenna, are you Olivia McKenna, Raymar's daughter? And Olivia's like, please not now. Do you have any idea why your father murdered those girls? There's no proof of that he murdered them. Please, no questions. The One of the reporters yells, Since none of the girls were sexually or physically abused, do you have any theory on what happened? And Alan's like, mm-hmm. My wife said, No questions, please. Yeah, Adam West just, yeah, his cadences are so weird because he goes from different pitches. Like, it's it's weird, man. And again, he's trying to act... Normal, but it's just Adam West, and you're just like, ah, Adam, like, yeah. It's but he's kinda, still believable. He he's is. still believable in he, this comforting role. He's like trying to get her into the mausoleum, you know, it, the, it, trying to get away from the reporters. It does take me out of the situation, though, which is why, and ultimately this is why he had probably had a hard time finding work, because you see him, and you immediately think Batman, and that takes you out of what you're watching right now. But I think he's doing a fine job here, truthfully. Yeah. Yeah, he he you know, his character Alan is is very like one note. He he yeah. just kind of he's he's he it's, helps it's not the a, scene it's not a beefy along. role. It's not a beefy role by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But you know, he's he, it's it's kind of like um Donald Pleasant's playing. Well, no, no. Donald Pleasant's is a 
much more versatile actor, I would say. But uh, so never mind. Forget all that. <laughs> Fuck all that. Moving on. Um, yeah, moving on. So they go into the mausoleum and back to the main reporter. And he says, unfortunately, not much is known about Raymar's life in recent years, for he's become a recluse. Carl Raymar died of an apparent heart attack, but the bizarre condition of his apartment and the true cause of the death of the missing girls remains a mystery at this hour. And so that kind of sets the stage of who Raymar is. Yep. A.K.A. Olivia's dad. A.K.A. I guess the real antagonist of this movie, even though he's not actually a person, like meaning like no one actually plays him. Well, it it reminds me a little bit of Witchboard in the sense that it's like this this uh you know ghost or spirit that comes from that we never really fully see yeah you know we do but 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 just sparingly yeah uh, it's the idea of how yeah. scary he is so uh inside the mausoleum there's like six people at this funeral uh olivia is like looking she's sitting in the front with alan she's looking in a mirror note that by the way yep uh and checking her makeup and then she starts like flashing into the future uh, having like a flash forward, seeing sisters running through the mausoleum, uh, coffins opening and dead body. And s- suddenly like she's just kind of having a meltdown and Alan takes her out uh, out of the funeral while this kind of... Um, while this priest, priest judges her. <laughs> the priest judges her. Yeah, there's a priest like saying the prayer, but it's like... It's Russian Orthodox. It's it's like a Russian Orthodox priest. But as they leave, I mean, it's her dad. As they leave, that priest gives her the dagger eyes. (laughs) He gives her the yeah. As most people, that's why I can't stand religion. But you know, it is what it is. So um, (laughs) Alan takes her away to another part of the mausoleum to kind of calm her down because she's looks like she's having a panic attack. And he's like, Olivia, Olivia, are you all right? She's like, I just feel so. I don't. I don't know. It's I know this has been tough on you. And she's like, Alan, I'm so sorry. I get dragged you all into this. And he's like, oh, don't worry. Let, let's get a fresh, a breath of fresh air. Wait, so, so sorry. I mean, you're, you're my husband. So, I mean, you know, if something happens to my wife, I'm going to, I'm there with her. Like, there, you don't have to apologize for that. We're together thick and thin. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think she's testing him. I've been, been down that road before where okay. I've had been with somebody and been like, I'm sorry I'm bright dragging you down. I'm sorry I'm pulling you into this and like it's okay yeah it sucks but it is what do you mean it sucks <laughs> you're supposed to be with me supportive oh sorry i mean uh yes 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 i'm gonna yes. go kiss myself in the mirror now <laughs> uh anyways so from there she's like i just want to i just want to say goodbye to him at least one at I just want to say goodbye to him. And he's like, why? Yeah, I, know, I noticed. I was like, why? I'm like, dude, it's it's her dad, dude. No, no matter what, reason, it's her dad. <laughs> Alan. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, okay, okay, well, we'll come back. right. We'll come after the service, all right? And she's like, okay. They walk off, and it cuts to uh, Olivia putting a flower on, like, Raymar's gravestone. So, So I just have to paint this really quick. It's inside the mausoleum. The bodies are elevated off the ground. They're inside the walls. So there's a marble walls there. The coffin is in there, but there's a marble like kind of uh, plate uh, of, of stone tablet over their coffins. And, and, and they're yeah, and they're stacked up um, horizontally. So you have like f- 
three or something, or maybe two or three high, whatever. Uh, it's kind of taller than people, though. You know what I mean? Like, you'd have to, like, use, like, a ladder to get to the highest one. Uh, yeah, and then, obviously, watch Phantasm. You'll know exactly what a mausoleum looks like. But these, uh, this is a, this one, I mean, these shots aren't actually the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Uh, these shots at the beginning were the inside, the outside stuff, but not the inside, because those mausoleums aren't as big as what they were trying to do. Uh, and then later, I actually discovered or figured out where the, the cemetery is. It's not actually technically the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, but they do shoot there, and they did shoot this outdoor scene there. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. And, and, and you mentioned Phantasm. I love the look of mausoleums because of Phantasm. I don't like mausoleums when it comes to Return of the Living Dead Part 2. No, I'm kidding. Actually, that's really cool, too. I'm totally kidding. Um, Yeah, but Phantasm, like, ignited my interest and piqued uh, my love of, like, the creepy factor of being in a mausoleum by yourself and seeing a tall man. So this movie piggybacks on that where I'm like, oh, this is cool. Such a great setting, right? Yeah. Great setting for the overall movie. It's a setting that I feel like... You don't see too often because it's it's very no. specific to only a few places, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah the, and then in movie wise, yeah, this and Phantasm and, and Return of the Living Dead Part Two. There's very few movies, but some of them do feature it, and it's it's always such a an interesting visual to see. I mean, Phantasm is the best at doing it. I cannot wait to break down Phantasm Two with you, boy. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. I, so, dude, I love Phantasm, by the way, also. So I can't wait. Oh, I, I love those two. Just give me those two and three. Yeah, three. I, I, I'm, uh, you know, I like three, to be honest with you. I really freaking like three. Go kiss yourself in the mirror. So uh, from there, yeah, so they basically wait until a procession is over, uh, Olivia and Alan do, and then they walk back in to visit Raymar, and Olivia is talking to Raymar's gravestone and says, you know, all my life you've kept me away. I wish I could have helped you. And she takes a flower and she puts it in the little vase next to his uh, nameplate, which on the on the wall. And Alan, you know, takes her and she and he kind of startles her when he shows up behind her, and they leave, and they go home. You cu- as they leave the mausoleum, it cuts back to the grave wall again, and the flower that was hanging on the wall is now dead. Yeah. That was it was super fresh cool. when she put it in, and now it's dead. Yep. so creepy. I, I picked that up on the the first time, and real quick, I do like the fact, and and I'll sort of elaborate on it later and everything, but I do like the fact that there's this idea that the dad actually didn't want her to be a part of his evilness, and a lot of times you these movies, it's always like. The evil father needs the child to like keep their like do something like take over the body or something. I thought it was actually di- like interesting and different that he seems to always try to not harm his daughter or like keep her away from him because the whole underlying theme throughout the entire movie is like she's she, she didn't know her dad like and everything and he he vehemently tried to keep her away and uh, I thought that's neat. I thought that was a different little take on it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I feel like that seems to be more kind of prevalent when it comes to like a family member, like you want to keep them away from the sickness. Right. You know? But, but some, for some reason I feel like a lot of times when there's like possession and stuff and I'm like, I think I'm like hereditary and well, I, I, I think of other things at the exact same time, but like sometimes it's, it's, I feel like there's a trope where like the evil patriarch still needs the kid to like their lifeblood to become whole again kind of like a hellraiser thing because that's like that's her uncle and everything in hellraiser so there was some kind of like blood thing and i thought it was different that he 
the character Raymar seemed to always, his entire life, and obviously it's all happened before this movie even starts, but always tried to keep her away. And then even in the climax, tries to kind of push her away, you know, because he doesn't want to harm his daughter. And I thought that was kind of interesting, but it's it, it's not a huge thing. It's huge to me. <laughs> dads, dads. No, it's interesting to think about, though. It is interesting to think about. Um, <clears throat> you know what else is interesting? Seeing what the Santa Monica Pier used to look mm-hmm. like back in the 80s, because from here you cut to an arcade, yeah. which just happens to be the Santa Monica Pier Arcade. All oh, the good old days when people played video games and it didn't look trashed and there wasn't graffiti all over the place. There, Steve and Julie are having a date at the Santa Monica Pier, and it's so cool. It's such a retro moment. It, it's like a little montage. The music is cheesy as shit. It's super like after school special music, but it it, it works. works. It works. It, it really does. And the yeah. whole scene is fun. And I'm with you. I'd love seeing everything, but. The, the most notable part is the phone booth. I'm sorry. The picture booth scene is funny. Like, that's a good one. That's a good little uh, moment and everything. Honestly, I really like this scene. And I, you need it, too, to kind of get their relationship. And it helps that they're not really talking. So the acting isn't really bad right here. So you can just kind of enjoy them being goofy and kids together, even though they're both like 30. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's great. Like, they're in. And, and what's cool to me personally was. I've taken my son to the pier a bunch of times. So seeing them in the bumper cars and seeing them in the the photo booths in the air hockey tables, I've done all that with my son, which is kind of funny. Um, And, and, and the music throughout this thing is very like stock music, you know, um, kind of generic. It's not the, worst it's not the best it's just somewhere in the middle it's it's like very passable i'm just yeah. i just want to point that out so anyways from there uh julie and steve are like walking down the pier and at they're at the end of the pier and they're just having like cute moments together and then after this you know they're like having like kind of heart-to-heart talk and julie's like you know what what do you want to what do you want to do with your life and he's like uh He's like, I want to take off our clothes and dive in the ocean. She's like, no, come on, seriously. And he's like, I don't know. Uh, besides you, like, what else do I want with my life? I don't need anything. And she, and uh, he's like, I guess to make it the USC team and when I graduate. She's like, so being part of a group or team is important to you? He's like, Julie, let's not argue about this sister thing again. She's like, look, I got to prove I can do it. And he's like, why? They're such jerks. You can belong to any group at school. She's like, I want to prove I can take their initiation. Julie, you're just accepting. They're just accepting you so Carol can torment you. She's so jealous of you. All she wants to do is show you how weak and chicken you are. She's like, well, yeah. Well, that's all the more reason I won't back down. And he's like, look, I, I didn't mean you are. I, I, I just think it's stupid to go down their level. And she storms off. And when I say storms off, she like throws her arms up in the air and like literally runs off down the pier in the other direction, heading towards like downtown Santa Monica. Yeah. She's like, I'm walking home and then like runs and almost like runs into somebody and fucking and Steve. Oh, I got to do this one, buddy. And Steve channels his inner Matthew Barry from the Wraith. And he goes, Julia, Julia. And then I go, Jamie. (laughs) 
<laughs> but dude, terrible. like this, like the scene was this was goofy. Like like them having to like get to this fight because it didn't feel like it should have even des- like built up to that. It was like it escalated too quickly, you know, type of thing. And again, her her motivation for wanting to be a part of the sisters is, you know, they're I don't want to be called chicken. I'm tired of being the goody goody girl. I don't want to be chicken. I'm running home. Ah! You know. Well, she even she even says too. She's like, I'm tired of being called a pansy. Yeah. And so who the I, fuck? Look. Like, but so maybe we needed. Maybe I needed something before this movie, like showing her getting picked on or something. But like, I'm just like, I who who's calling you pansy? The only person I can figure is calling him pansy is probably the sisters. And then I'm yeah. like, well, why would you want to join their group? So the motivation, guys and gals, it's not there for me. So I agree with you 100. percent and I feel like they probably were like, well, this is all we need to set up the rest of the movie. Right. Um, and also, I will say in my 45-year-old self now looking back, I'm like, bullshit. You would never do that. No. Going back to high school, though, and being that person that just wanted to be liked and accepted and, and a part of the cool group, I was so envious of the ones who were popular. And I'm like, why the fuck is he popular? He's an idiot, you know? And, 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 and kind of at the time, like I never went down that road to just basically do whatever. If someone told me, okay, we'll go break that window over there and you can be hang out with us. I did hang out with kids that did do that shit. And so I remember specifically one night, one of the, kids this jerk off said to one of my friends he's like actually i think dean carlson <laughs> my buddy dean back in the day i he was with me that night and this jerk off was like well, i'm gonna go steal a, a mercedes-benz emblem off this car do you remember that thing when yeah. people would break the mercedes and he broke it off and he only broke the top half off because he was an idiot with that you know and <laughs> i'm like you, you just destroyed that car. What the hell? <laughs> For man? what reason, you know? You know, and so I think these like tropes, I connect with them. They just didn't execute it very well in this. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll buy all of that. I, even I though mean, I, yeah. yeah, even though I can't get into it. I mean, that wasn't my experience from high school and everything. I, I kind of was like that guy that I sort of knew everybody and I kind of said hi to everybody, but I had my little group of nerds. So we never really got into any trouble. You know, me, Luke, Jason, and every, we didn't really do anything crazy. The most we would do would be like watch a movie on Friday night and shit. You know, we just didn't go crazy. So, and then mm-hmm. I never got picked on in high school. Like I said, I always was like, I knew everybody. I was, a, I was friends with one person from each group. So I never had a problem with anybody. And I think it was also because I, I drew, I would always be drawing and I would usually draw like, you know, girls or females with big boobs. So like even the jocks would be like, yo bro, Corey, what's up, man? You know, <laughs> like, so I, it was just a different experience, but I think that it's interesting to see how our experiences, you know, uh, inform what we watch and everything like that and what, and what we connect with. So even though I couldn't quite connect with it, with, with her or Julie's uh, a desire to sort of prove herself, I did understand it. You know what I mean? I, I did understand ultimately like what her goal was. I just couldn't get like get into it. But guys and gals, we're, we're harping on something that really is not really that big of a deal because once the movie gets going, it doesn't really matter. 
It matters to me. <laughs> what's, that famous, because... uh, what's that famous wrestling video where that, that, that guy's like, it's real to me, damn it. Yeah, <laughs> the oh, guy man. that's crying. <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about, if you just search, just, uh, just it's real lit- to me, damn it. Just literally look up wrestling, it's real to me, damn it, and you'll see <laughs> the most passionate man that's ever lived. <laughs> oh, man. And, and, and for those of you that love wrestling, you watch this and you're like, this is sometimes this is the reason why I'm sometimes embarrassed to admit that I'm a big right? pro wrestler wrestling fan yeah for people like this um oh man we do maybe we should do an episode on this on that stuff uh so or uh actually you know what? we'll save for a wrap up after dark we'll talk about some of the biggest fails in nerddom that make us embarrassed to be uh, associated with that that nerddom yes, <laughs> yes, yes. oh baby oh, i've got a few so if you're not subscribed to our patreon please consider doing so Simply for the stories that we will tell in the following <laughs> wrap up after dark, it is going to be some funny stuff because uh, you know you like to listen to us. And for those of you that are signed up for our Patreon, strap yourselves in because we're going to have a wild time. <laughs> um, from there, yeah, so Julie runs off. Steve gives out his best uh, Billy impression from the Wraith <laughs> and from Wraith Timber. Uh, and Olivia. It cuts to Olivia in her car with Alan, and they're driving in, uh, pulling up in the driveway of their home. And creepy albino looking dude uh, from the murder scene in the beginning of the movie is at their uh, doorway waiting for them. And he has my least favorite haircut of all time, which we saw in Shivers, which is the extremely long sides and then comb over on top and then short hairs here and there. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's a bad look. This guy is a bad look. And... Talk about like inflections and and how you speak. I equal parts love and hate watching him talk. I I am riveted and at the same time appalled that 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 he talks the way that he talks. Very odd. He's very odd. I can't even describe it, guys. Good news for Corey. He's only in the scene and that's pretty much it. I know, but yet, but yet, I also love him too. So I, I don't oh, know. Yeah, he's bizarre. Yeah, well, and he's very full of himself. Yeah, he uh, he's a good actor. He's a good yeah. actor. The guy who plays. So, uh, he's so yeah, they. So Alan's like Alan. And the, they both see that both see him at the doorway when they when they pull up, and Alan looks pissed, and and uh, Olivia's like curious, you know, and they walk up to him, and he goes, "Are you Olivia Raymar?" And she's like, "I'm Olivia McKenna." Uh, but Carl Raymar is, is or was your father. And she's like, and Alan's like, what do you want? And and the guy goes, well, Mrs. McKenna, my name is Samuel Dockstutter, and I'm a feature writer for the world of the occult. I'm like, oh, you're a feature writer. Good, good for you. Uh, he's like, I want to talk to you concerning your father. And, she's, and Alan's like, all right, fella, get off my property. I'm not going to ask you again. <laughs> and Olivia's like, no, Alan, it's it's all right. And Doc Sutter's like, I-, I was once very close with your father. And she's like, please, please come in. They come in. Alan's like making a drink. They're, they're, uh, Doc Sutter and Olivia are sitting down on the couch. Uh, uh, Alan's behind them, like making a drink, <laughs> looking all annoyed as hell. And uh, Doc Sutter's talking to Olivia. He's like, what your father did, Olivia, was due to an obsession with his work. Um, and she's like, his work? And he goes, do you know anything about bioenergy? It's the electromagnetic force in all living things. It can be photographed with 
Karelian photography. And he starts pulling out these photos that you literally could just get out of any science book. Of course. And and, and they're like, you know, uh, it's like someone put their hand on a uh, color copy machine and... (laughs) photocopied it photocopied it they're like energy wave patterns and, and they actually uh the uh, the director and he actually had a writing partner on this i think his name was hayes um they went and actually interviewed the lady who does this stuff like researches this stuff oh, cool. to try to actually get some insight uh and the whole movie was incepted because they love like you know horror movies but they also love like psychic stuff like you know they, they were into that kind of thing and they merged them all together beautifully i i think but yeah it's it's interesting though when you're you're talking about because that they're actually using the real photos and stuff there but yeah it's it's you can see them or you know see the the bio energy or something but i do love how we talk about uh energy vampires especially if you've been watching uh what we do in the shadows and and colin robinson on there is an energy vampire great show season three is fantastic highly recommend it but i love that that we now have like a a pop culture character that is an energy vampire and we can discuss that but here i mean shit they're talking about this shit like fucking 40 years ago you know mm-hmm. like it's it this movie kind of like eh, not so not not as much as 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 other world but this movie is i think is dealing with some concepts that are way ahead of its time, especially for like audience members at this moment. Like they're dealing with some comic book level shit, like some real sci-fi stuff, but they're putting it in a horror movie, which is I think fucking cool. Again, I'm fully on board. All the silly stuff aside, and and you know us talking about the acting and this and that. I don't care. All that aside, I am fully on board for with what they're talking about here. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, it also made me think of. Because you dig this stuff so much, and I don't think you've seen it, um, the, the Fury with uh, the Brian De Palma film. I um, want to see the Fury so bad. Ever since I don't know who posted the GIF or something on Instagram, somebody exploded. Was it you? Okay, mm-hmm. I saw and that. I think I, you were like, "What is that?" <laughs> the Fury. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm da- I am down for watching that. I am down for watching Altered States. Oh man, I'm ready to dive into some weird shit from the '80s, dude. Yeah, I think uh, The Fury should be one of the top movies on your list because it's like, you know, uh, horror X-Men. Okay, cool. Awesome. Um, Dude, I am on board for this subgenre, which is horror X-Men movies. Yep, there you go. Wall scanners (laughs) will come up too, I'm sure. Um, Yeah, when you're saying energy vampires, I'm like, oh, I was just talking about energy vampires with my wife the other day about people in real life that suck the energy out of you and... (laughs) <laughs> yeah to yeah. fuel their own madness yeah. we all know energy vampires in real life folks and we do they're not fun to be around are you not watching what we do in the shadows i have not watched it yet but um but i i i, I want to it's it's really good i highly recommend it oh i love i love the concept and everything too yeah, yeah i will for sure um yeah so doc Stetter, you know he shows her the photos and she's like alan look at these and he's like i don't see how that means anything and and then doc Sater like basically ignores alan he's like when i first met your father olivia i was very overwhelmed with his ability to move objects with his mind carl raymar was one of the only true practitioners of the telekinesis in the world and she's like but i was raised by my family to believe that he was he was a fake no no your father was no fake he was a genius in the field until what what there is a phenomenon it's called psychic vampirism 
Have you ever known anyone who's left you feeling physically drained of energy? She's like, yeah. you, you, you're doing it to me. <laughs> Your acting is doing it to me right now. Um, my God, I watched that scene and I, this just coincided with something that just happened fairly recently in my personal life where there was just this dude who was really just trying to probe me for information. <laughs> isolate and, that soundbite, guys and gals. Yeah, isolate that. I love bad boys. And, um, and... I'm like, dude, you are such an energy sucker, man. Like, oy vey, in real life. But anyways, yeah, um, yeah. He's like, you know, most people, most people who are psychic vampires, uh, you don't even recognize it. Raymar found that he could drain the bioenergy from things and then use that power to move or levitate objects. And Alan's like laughing while he's saying this, and Doc Stetter is just like annoyed with him. Yeah. And she's like, you mean that my father drained those girls of life? And he's like, oh. well, and I love this because it's like justifying the monster. And he's like, well, he didn't mean to. Yeah. He'd pick up a hitchhiker and then take <laughs> He'd pick up a hitchhiker and then take him to his apartment. And he would he would there frighten his victim to an incredible degree. It's like he didn't mean to kill them. He just meant to scare the living shit out of them. I guess. I mean, then, I don't know. This guy seems a bit complicit. Not not unlike Joe Silver's totally character in, in Shivers. It, it, he is totally complicit, dude. Because he goes, then he would drain the energy from the adrenaline that he had stimulated. He wouldn't listen to me. It was a negative energy that he was dealing with. And valuable power is what killed him. And Alan's like, oh, brother. And he just walks off. Yeah, really Alan ain't putting up with any of this shit, but I think he's like a lawyer or something. So like he is a lawyer. It, so it, it does make sense that he's kind of like a guy that would just need to see like the proof and things, the you know? Yeah. The yeah, facts. Totally the facts. tracks. Yeah, I get it. Totally tracks. Although he's not being very supportive of his wife. That's all. No, he's not. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, he's like, Olivia, your father allowed himself to die. And then he like, slips her this cassette tape and goes listen to this in private the tapes from my research associate he conducted some studies with your father and then from there you cut to steve rolling down the road and his motorcycle and he's arriving at someone's house whose house is he arriving at carol's house why is he arriving at carol's house carol can see him looking out the window it reminded me a little bit of halloween that shot yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it kind of reminds me of the Nightmare on Elm Street house a uh, little bit, but yes. they're, they're all in the same area. You Pasadena. Know? Yeah. That yeah. Pasadena style, you know, um, I will say, ah, the 80s when you could drive your motorcycle uh, without a helmet, first off. <laughs> and ah, the 80s when, again, 27 year olds play high schoolers on both <laughs> accounts you know so and we get oh, a, Steve. and we get a little we get a little some sexiness from uh from carol here we're about to so carol spots steve and man man oh man does she get excited she gets so excited when she spots steve that she goes runs back she sees him in the window of her bedroom uh she's on the second story she runs over to her uh closet and grabs a, a, a shirt and like takes off her top and puts on her dress on like a nicer shirt, and it's a little, it's risque. It's, it's a little, risque. It's a little risque. It's a little bit risque. And yeah, she's 
She's a beautiful woman. I mean, you don't see any nudity, guys and gals. So if you're, yeah, if you're yeah, hoping little, for that, a little it's slip. a little side boob, a little, just a little mm-hmm. nice right there, and a little, uh, a little uh, uh, brawless uh, wonderness to to her. But <laughs> honestly, man, this is all of this. All of this is a okay in my book, baby. <laughs> I'm like, yo, PG. Obviously, clearly, we did not have PG thirteen at this point, but right. still, this is borderline. Uh, this is definitely PG thirteen territory. So I would s- I would say if this was post PG 13s inception, this would have gotten a PG thirteen rating. Yeah, and 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 you know for those for for as you're watching the scene, you're like, why the hell is Steve at her house? Well, it gets cleared up in off camera dialogue because uh, the mom answers the door and she's like, I didn't think we were gonna see you anymore, Steve. And he's like, I just need to talk to Carol for a minute. And she's like, All right, but don't be long. She still has to do her homework. And and Carol's like mimicking her mom. She's like, still has to do her homework. She's such a little shit. She's such yeah, a shit. She is. And uh, and then she's like pretending to be doing her homework when Steve comes up. Uh, Steve comes upstairs. He knocks on the door, and she's like, "Oh, hi, Steve. What a surprise!" And Steve like looks totally annoyed. He's like, "Yeah, I'm sure it is." And she's like, "Well, well." And he's like, "She's like, well, what's the matter?" He's like, "I'll knock it off. I'm fed up with your games. Now, if you're mad about our breakup." Why don't you take it out on me? She's like, Steve, I've got nothing against you. I really wish it could have worked out between us. And he's like, yeah, well, since it didn't, you're starting to take it out on Julie. And she's like, Julie wanted to be in the sisters for a long time. He's like, all right. She's got to go through initiation just like anybody else want, who would want to join. And he's like, Carol, how dumb do you think I am? I know the sisters consist of you three, which is what you're saying, dude. It's like, yeah. it's just three it's- just the Girls. three of them. They're, 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 yeah, it's it's weird. It's just then the she's three like, of them. We're expanding, which is probably bullshit. And he's like, listen, I don't want to hear any of this anymore. You just stay away from her. And he's like, I got to go anyways. I got bra- basketball practice. And then suddenly she like closes the door and and she grabs Steve by the arm. She's like, Steve, I miss you. And for a moment, Steve kind of gives her a look because he's like, what? Like <laughs> terrible acting because he literally like shifts degrees he goes from like being annoyed with her that suddenly he's like wants to jump her bones but then he comes to his senses right away and he pushes her down on her bed and he's like i gotta go (laughs) i mean guys and guys it's almost one of those things where she's so pretty that it takes me out of the movie sometimes like i'm just like i sure I get it, she Steve. Looks, I get it. She looks like the very typical '80s blonde it, that that was cast in like *Revenge of the Nerds*. You know that that kind of like she's hot, hot blonde. Yeah, but I mean, she's like a ten, so you know. No, I I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> so it makes sense. I'm not gonna lie, it makes sense. She, I mean, she is an ex model, so I mean, I'm not just like you know, I don't have just like rose colored glasses, you know, type of thing. No, and and but you know. What I think that's what's so great about her or why she's so perfectly cast because she she looks like that girl who knows that she's the hottest one. Yeah. No, she it, knows she's cool. It helps. So she, she takes it out. on. She's got like this. There are some just mean people in life yeah. with no backstory. No. And, and, you know, and you when know people what? go, oh, that person was bullied and that's why they act that way. Or, oh, this person, you know, uh, had a death in the family. That's why they act this way. No, this woman, this character, you can. she's just a she's just a jerk. Well, and ironically, because I have lots of things to say about Julie's mom who just leaves for the entire weekend with a note. And so 
Julie is the good guy of the movie. You know, she's the protagonist, and she has a shitty mom. And, you know, I mean, Carol's mom's actually, she's home. She's she's a part of, of Carol's life and, you know, knows that she has homework to do. And, you know, it's weird because you look at that and you're like, oh, you know, you're supposed to think that the mom's annoying for doing all that. But you're like, now that you and I are older, you look at that and you're like, oh, that mom's actually engaged with her daughter's life. So yeah. she's actually a good mom. And, and I think that leads to what you're saying is... Carol's just a piece of shit. And yeah. and sometimes, sometimes the protagonist can just be a piece of shit for the piece of shit's sake. You know what I mean? Or antagonist. Sorry, guys. Antagonist. I actually appreciate that. And I'm, I'm so happy with that because there's times when I'm like, not every person has to be gray. I yeah. get that. Yeah. That's quote unquote reality. But not always. Yep. There are some people who are just assholes for the sake of being an asshole. 100% and I agree. She's an asshole. She's an asshole. Uh, She's an asshole. Yo so from, yo. There, <laughs> from there, we cut to uh, Julie's house. And yeah, like Corey said, uh, Julie comes home and she find, she goes into the kitchen. The lights are all off in her house and she sees a note on that by the phone. It says, uh, I'll be gone till Sunday night. Don't forget to clean the oven. Like, what the fuck? Screw you know, and, you. And I was assuming that this was Friday, but I'm going to say it's Saturday because... They they kind of weirdly spent the night at the at Santa Monica Pier. Like they were there at nighttime, and the next day they were in the there in the morning. You know, so I'm thinking, okay, what if this is just Saturday? Still, yes. 24 hours, and clearly Julie stayed out all night without her mom even you know noticing or caring. I think Julie's mom's a piece of shit. I think that's her background is she's a crappy mom. I think she's like sort of a latchkey kid. You know, you don't think that that take, takes place this at the same time. Like that they just didn't do the day for night shot correctly or I mean, I'm I'm going with what the visualness of the movie tells me. And and, and we should have mentioned this, you know, a couple scenes prior. But, yeah, they were at night at the Santa Monica Pier and then it all ends with them having fun. It's clearly the morning because there's also that mist because you not you you live in Santa Monica. You know that yeah. that mist is like in the morning and shit. You know, the the the, the layer, the coast it, layer. It can happen in the day. I, I think. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to push a little bit and say my theory is that this is all in the same time that she stormed off and she ran home that night. That makes it better for me. And so so then so then this is Friday that she's this is Friday in my mind. Okay, okay. So this is but then that's even worse. Her fucking mom is like, I'm gone for two days. And clearly Julie didn't even know about it. You know, mom's going off on a bender. She's going to she's she's going to go meet up with her boyfriend who, uh, you know, is this season Hubley's character from Vice Squad where like she like on the weekend goes out and becomes a whore. Like what? What is this? Yes, this is Vice Squad uh, prequel. Okay. <laughs> so the uh, the phone rings at uh, Julie's house. Julie answered the phone, and uh, she's like, Wells Residence. And then you hear uh, Carol on the other line mimicking her, Wells Residence. And like, oh, God, I hate you. I hate you so much. And, and she's like, oh, hi, Carol. And then J- Carol's like, are you ready for your final test? Soon to be sister. Soon she's to like, be Shoot. sister. So Such a jerk. And she's like, good. I'll be over in 20 minutes. Oh, and bring a sleeping bag. It's going to be an all-nighter. See ya. And this is hilarious because she goes, cut to Carol hanging up the phone, and she accidentally knocks her tab <laughs> soda over a little bit. 
<laughs> which was clearly a mistake. It's so funny though. I know. You're like you awkward little shit. I know. And then on top of it, she does like the hang up and then look sly, you know, like, I mean, we're talking <laughs> guys and gals like acting one Oh one shit from Carol, but she's fucking gorgeous doing it. So you're like, okay, she gets <laughs> but away she's, with it. she's horrible. It's hilarious. <laughs> Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list... And decide you hate us because we made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. We cut to outside of Julie's house, and the sisters show up in a, well, it's Carol's sweet red Mustang. Again, oh, dude. Rich girl. Yeah, rich and girl. rich girl fucking driving around smoking a joint. Uh, talk about yep. white privilege right there. I uh, mean, it is the epitome of, like, drive you nuts, and you hope, you hope that she gets her comeuppance. You, you hope she, she dies does. under a pile of corpses, maybe. Uh, <laughs> under a pile of stinky, disgusting, slimy <laughs> maggot, well, mealy worms, but, infused corpses. But but let's not mince words. That car is fucking awesome. It's cherry. It's dope. It's 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 awesome. And she knows it. She knows it. Oh, and she dr- she drives it like she stole it. <laughs> right. So they pull up. Uh, Julie comes out with this giant red sleeping bag, and Carol's like, "Come on." And Kitty's like, what is that girl doing now? And like, oh, my God, the two of them, Kitty and Carol, just suck. They suck. And Julie, like, gets in the car kind of sweet. She's like, hi, here's my sleeping bag. It gets them all set. And Kitty's like, oh, and so are we. Get in the back, girl. And so Julie gets in the car. And, and Dottie's in the back seat. I'm uh, Leslie. Le- Dottie. Y- Dottie is her Pee Wee Herman uh, name. Oh, man, if she was listening to this, she'd be like, that's not what I'm known for only. <laughs> um, so she, so this is really interesting because so Leslie's in, yeah, Leslie's in the back seat with her and they're having this moment when Leslie's like, oh, boy, you want one of these, huh? And she's kind of showing off her. She's like playing with her jacket and putting it in her mouth. It's a really weird interaction. Yeah. But the, if you but E.G. Daly is so unique in the way she's playing the scene. You just look at her and go, man, you're such a good actress. Yeah, she she's so much fun to watch always. Really, really, really is. And, like, Carol's driving like shit. She runs a stop sign. She almost gets hit. They almost get hit by a car. 
uh, that car driven by his uh, his writing partner. Uh, the other guy credited helping to write this, I, I believe his name is Hayes. Um, so no one else wanted to, to do it. Guys and gals, this movie was made for like $800,000, like nothing, next to nothing. So that was his actual car, uh, you know, having to slam on the brakes and everything there because, you know, it just, yeah. But she's driving like a piece of fucking shit. And she, she can do that because if she gets pulled over, cops just going to look at her and be like, oh, just, just drive better, you know, and. Yep. Oh, man, a lot of things need to change in this world, guys and gals, but uh, they've needed to change for a long time. So I, I it drives me nuts. And, and Kitty's like fueling her on. She's like, come on, let's go. You know, let's book up or whatever she says. And, <laughs> that that and, was kind of funny. Let's book up. And then she kind of fucking nails it. I kind of like that phrase book up. <laughs> I like that, too. Yeah, there's a couple of lines in this where I'm like, oh, that was I've never heard that before. Yeah, gonna get another one in just a second. Um, nerdle brain (laughs) yeah because leslie's like what's the big rush and carol's like i want to get there before it closes nerdle brain nerdle brain brain. very nice (laughs) and i love this because she's like hey where's steve tonight and uh oh that's what carol says and 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 julie's like i don't know basketball practice i guess and I like uh, Meg Tilly's response, like the way she's acted it, because she knows that that question is extremely loaded, and she has to take a second to kind of like pause and, and like think about how she wants to respond and everything. So I like that interaction. Yeah, because, you know, Julie's in the back seat. She knows she's in for some sort of initiation, but she doesn't know what it is. And she so clearly looking... knows the history between Carol and Steve. Yeah, and she's looking concerned. Um, Leslie's kind of being a jerk to her too but not as bad as carol and kitty just kind of egging her on like friends like a friend would do actually uh and they continue driving on and you don't know what's going to happen next but you will in just a minute because from here you cut back to olivia olivia and alan are in uh, alan's office i'm gonna take it uh and alan's doing like paperwork alan's office in in a house but yet they have to do ADR for this entire scene. So I'm thinking that they didn't have the budget um, to have sound in there because it was probably like someone's house that they were renting or whatever, and they didn't want to like make a mess. So they had to fucking ADR this entire scene, which is weird because you never really you don't often need to ADR inside of a building because you can usually get good sound. True. True. So. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. You're right. I got nothing, guys. I got nothing. So, uh, yeah, and Alan, Alan, you know, Olivia look, looks distraught kind of over what had happened earlier with Doc Stetter. And he's like, you know, you've gotten, your, you've gotten yourself all worked up over this Doc Stetter character. And she's like, you know, he's like, he's a nut. And she's like, I don't think he is. And, uh, you know, I've been having a very strong feeling about those dream uh, about those dreams I've been having again, those images. And he's like, "Don't start with that ESPN crap again." Oh, ESPN, ESP crap again. <laughs> he's like, "You promised." <laughs> he's like, "You promised that you'd stop all of that. Oh, we've been through this before." Oh. And he's like, "Look, I'm sorry I was rude to Doc Stetter, but but all of that Raymar." And she's like, "He was my." F- screams at him you know he's like i'm sorry okay he's not very sensitive about i mean he knows i mean they're married he knows who who her dad is like be a little sensitive it's not a well-written character at all and like like zach said early very one note very one note. but i get the sense that maybe you know he's he loves her 
uh, but he can't stand her complaining about her dad. Probably. Maybe she, that's all she ever does. Maybe all she ever does is complain about her dad. <laughs> and now that her dad is dead, he, he's like, oh, thank God. I don't have to hear about that guy anymore. And then, you know, and she's like, but can I talk about not one more time? <laughs> what an asshole. He's an asshole. There's a lot of assholes in this. Um, yeah, but anyway, she's like, she gives a little more, you know, backstory about this. She's like, all my life he stayed away from me. And uh, and then Alan's like too distracted. He's like, oh, where's that deposition? And while he was looking for this paperwork at his desk, Olivia starts to pull out this cassette tape that's kind of, she's sitting on a couch next yeah. to him. And there's the cassette tape that Dockstetter gave her is like wedged under a pillow. Um, and then, you know, he's like, I wish you'd tell me what's really wrong. And she... <laughs> I mean, it's like kind of obvious. She, she's been really, she's been trying to tell you what's really wrong. You keep fucking blowing her off. And then now at this point, she's like, no, nothing, nothing. You know, and this is a typical thing in relationships. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> and, and it, <laughs> I'm fine. And it's a weird bit of dialogue because he's like, where's this deposition paper? And then she's like sitting there like thinking about something. He goes, you're being awfully quiet. What is wrong? And it's like, but yeah. literally it's been, it's like 30 seconds after you just said, where's this deposition paper? It, it was not the best scene. I, sadly, again, I think Adam West is doing his best and there's actually nothing wrong with what Adam West is doing. His character is shittily written. His character really has no substance it's literally not his fault adam west's fault is what i'm trying to say no no and and, and all it all it's doing is setting up that she's got this cassette tape that she's gonna listen to in private in a little bit i i and and adam west stuff is is not really going to be even applicable anymore soon no it's kind of insignificant uh anyways from there you cut back to julie with the sisters and they're pulling into a cemetery and she's like, what, am I Am I going to have to stay out here all night? And Carol's like, no. Do you think we'd do that to you? It's cold and damp out here at night. And Julie's like, you mean I'm not staying out here? Carol's like, of course not. You're staying in there. And she points to the mausoleum. And Julie's like, a mausoleum? And like, yep, here you go. After tonight, you'll be an official sister. And Leslie's like, you ain't scared, are you? And they kind of go back and forth. Oh, yeah, so Julie, Julie goes, no. I was just thinking. And then Kitty goes, liar. And I'm like, oh, God, mm. you asshole. Yeah. Like, the two of them are such assholes. And uh, and Carol's like, hey, we're being generous. We could have made you spend the entire night out here with worm-infested bodies. Note that, by the way. Yeah. But no. And she's like, you'll be safe and warm, locked in, protected inside. Also... It's a higher class of people in there. We figured that you'd appreciate that, which is a dig at the <laughs> fact that, you know, I, I get the sense that Carol lives, she's rich, and yeah. Julie's not, right. you know. So, ugh, again, you just can't stand her. No. And then suddenly Kitty's like, Kitty gives her some pills. She goes, here, here's some downers. Now, if you can't go to sleep, just take a couple of those and they'll put you right out. That's just so you don't think, that's just so you don't hear things. And Carol's like, see, sister, we're making this easy for you. Oh, and here's a flashlight. And then Leslie's looking at Julie, and Julie's looking pensive, and Leslie's like, I don't think she wants to do this. And, and Carol's like, of course she does. She wants to be a sister, right? 
And then, and then Leslie's kind of like egging her on in a joking way. She's like, no, she's not going to do it. And Carol's like, no, come on, let's be fair. We'll all count to 10. And if Julie hasn't gotten out, then she'll, we'll just take this chicken home and that'll be it. And Kitty's like imitating a chicken. And of course, you know, Julie doesn't like to be called, you know, a pansy or a chicken. That's right. Oh, don't do and it. And so they, they, Julie, uh, so the sisters start counting to 10, right? They make it to six, seven, eight, nine. And then finally, uh, Julie like pushes. I love this. I love this because she too. pushes the, she's in the back seat right behind Kitty. She pushes the seat forward to get out of the car, which kind of shoves Kitty forward into the dashboard, which yeah. is great. I like that he, a lot. That was good. And of course she does it like right on nine, which is great, you know, cause it's, it's right at the last moment. Yep. And then Carol's pissed. Carol does not expect Julie to get out of the car. So now she's like, fine. She's like, okay, you're going to have to stay up. You're going to have to stay until they open up in the morning and you won't be able to get out. We'll be back in the morning and make sure you stayed in there all night long. You'll be surrounded by the dead. Nothing but dead bodies. And she goes like, you'll be surrounded by the dead. Because like Julie's like walking in there, not even listening to her. And she's like, yeah, she's that bitch trying to get that last word in. Like, you know, because because Julie ran off sort of in a huff. And, you know, she has this whole thing in her head that she still needs to like be saying all these things. And she yells out. Yeah. "Yeah," You know, she's like, you'll be surrounded by the dead. You know, and Julie didn't give a fuck what Carol said. Julie's like, I'm in. I'm doing it. Cause she's brave. Yeah. And, and Leslie, Leslie looks like really bummed out about it. Like kind of having a change of heart. That's what I wrote down. Yeah. Uh, and so they're sitting in the Mustang waiting for a moment, like a beat. And then suddenly they get surprised by like the, the groundskeeper, you know, and goes, love- yeah, we're closed. <laughs> and they're like, ah, they all scream. I love it, dude. I love that guy. He's great. <laughs> and, the the dude uh, did not see Julie go inside the mausoleum. He just saw the sisters. So they get in their car and they drive off, right? And he walks up to the door, opens the door, and kind of yells into the mausoleum, anybody still in here? Because he didn't see Julie go in. Yeah. And then he gets in his truck and he drives off. Yeah. And he actually, so he actually goes and, and locks the front gate. And so here you actually yeah. see the street that it's on. So it's a mere, um, it is... 1900 uh, Miraposa Avenue. And I was like, okay, let me just Google that. And, uh, you know, I did 1900 North Miraposa Avenue, and that's up by Griffith Park, and I'm looking around like nothing. And I'm like, okay, let me actually do South Miraposa Avenue. And boom, you can see right on Google's Google Maps, Angeles Rosedale Cemetery. It's right south of, of Koreatown. Uh, and, yeah, that's exactly where they are. And, you know, I spent, like, a good 15 minutes doing that. But then I go and look on IMDb, and they tell you right there that it was shot at the Angeles Rosedale Cemetery. But I was so fucking pleased that I fucking Batman detective and figured out where the fuck it was. It's right there. It's right on IMDb, guys. <laughs> I'm, ple- I'm pleased that you did that, too, because, uh, you know, it would be one thing to just go online and say i found this article and it's true or do the investigative work and actually make sure it's fact checked i I did the fucking google maps work myself guys (laughs) i even scrolled down like the road like just looking for cemeteries and that's why i was like let me do south miraposa and then it's right there you see like that i'm like a big plot of green i'm like okay there it is i'm like oh that's cool that's cool That is cool. Nice job. Thank nice you. Job. Thank you. Anyways, I'm, a... anyways, go to IMDb and just 
you know, read all the information there. <laughs> yeah, disregard <right>. me. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, right? Fuck, Fuck me, me. right? <laughs> <laughs> so from there, you cut back to now Julie's in the mausoleum. And she's, you know, it's just shots of her checking out different spots of the mausoleum. She walks by one grave and there's a note from a little kid, I'm assuming, named Tony. And it and the note says, I miss you. I'm sorry that you died. I wish you'd come back to me and mommy. I love you. And like, oh, my God. It's so sad. So, so the cool thing is, you know, we see a couple notes, and I, I'm just going to assume that that those were at least a few of the the corpses we see later. So yes. I like that we kind of get a little backstory on the corpses. We actually get more backstory on some of the corpses than we do on some of the characters in the movie. Yeah, no, that's I love it. Um, and then you cut to Raymar's grave, and the vase uh, that had the flower in it is next to the the grave marker, and the vase falls on the ground and breaks. Uh, Julie like doesn't even look affected by that. She just keeps walking by. She walks by Raymar's grave, sees the broken vase, and as she's looking at it, she starts to back up. And then there's like a there's like a a, a bar that I think that you use to maybe for the vases that are up too high, yeah. kind of lift them off the yeah. gr- off off the high areas. That bar almost falls on her, and she catches it. She kind of gets startled. But then, you know, she like kind of laughs it off. She puts the bar back on the wall and the bar slides down again. And, you know, it's simply because it, it's on a it's on a smooth wall and yeah. it just slides down. It has nothing to do with Raymar. Maybe, maybe not. But still effective. I enjoyed this little moment. Still effective. And then she turns around and starts walking off. Raymar's grave, you hear this cracking sound and his the the marble tablet on the front of his grave starts to crack. Cool. From there, you cut to a basketball game. With Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. <laughs> fucking predator. And he's <laughs> yelling fucking at fucking grown man in high school. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's yelling at Steve and he's calling him Breaker, I guess. That's Steve's nickname. Sure. And uh, and then they're yeah they're they're finishing a basketball game and then you cut to all of them being in the locker room, and uh, and Ken Peter Hall's like you know uh, he's like come on baby and Steve's like I'm sorry he's like come on Breaker we on for tonight or not and Steve's like I don't know I gotta make a call he's like well make it well make it and I'll meet you in the showers and Steve gets up to start walking away and he's like Breaker. That's not an invite. And everybody starts <laughs> laughing. I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I mean, that's better fucking than some of the other shit that, like, than some of the main actors are doing. Kevin Peter Hall is is doing so much better work in his literal nano two seconds of screen time here. And uh, he's, he's, he's great. And by the way, Steve's got a fucking six-pack. He, he's he's a he's got a if I'm gonna say this about Sherilyn Finn in in the Wraith how she had a woman's body because Bert loved how he said that by the way uh, dude Steve's got a man's body he is a man and I'm like come on you all are not in fucking high school here people <laughs> shit is wild but I like the little humor I like the fucking Kevin Peter Hall shit you know. <laughs> I know you do. And I, and I, I know you just love saying man's body. I do, man. He's key. He's a man's man. <laughs> He's a man. I'm a uh, there's man, a, man. There's a wrestler named um, William Regal, and he was a badass 
British wrestler from Blackpool, England, and in WCW. And then he comes to WWE, and Vince McMahon had a reputation for just like shitting on people who he didn't make, right? And so William Regal comes over to the WWE or WWF at the time, and he changed his image, his gimmick from being like this Regal upper statesman to like a a man's man and he came out with like like a lumberjack outfit basically and his theme song literally you can look it up on on youtube was he's a man he's a real man so silly so silly Anyways. oh good old Vinnie mac oh man um so from there yeah we from from the locker room scene we cut back to julie uh, in the mausoleum, she's now going into like the 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 church, the chapel, the, the chapel, the chapel. Yeah. yeah, thank you, the chapel of the of the mausoleum, um, and kind of walking around in there. It's all there's candles lit, uh, votive candles lit, and then she goes back out to the main mausoleum like, again, continuing to explore, clutching her little red sleeping bag, and she goes to the quote flower room. Yeah. Uh, in, which is the bathroom and she goes in there and th- there's a quick shot of the sink in the bathroom and there's like i couldn't tell but there's some weird shit on the sink it just looked like a mess uh but i wasn't sure what that was and then from there there's shots of she's in the flower room there's shots of the mausoleum all over graves and it cuts back to raymar's grave and it cracks some more cuts back to julie in the bathroom uh, she's sitting on the ground with her sleeping bag. She has the flashlight in her hand. She's checking it out. It doesn't work. Uh, it doesn't turn on. And so she unscrews the flashlight to check the batteries. And a spring snake jumps out and startles her. And, by the way, scared the shit out of me. So uh, this oh, was the cool. first time that I paused the movie. So I went up to go to the bathroom. Uh, the In the very first time I was watching it, and I was, I was high because, as you guys all know, when I watch the movies, uh, I watch them sober for when I break them down or when I'm taking notes. But I always want to do one viewing of just the feels, right? And that's just drink, get high, just watch it like I normally would. Got up to go to the bathroom, y- yada, 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 paused it, everything. I literally paused it like a second before that gag. So right when I sit down, I settle back into my seat. I, 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 I take a hit for my ball, hit, just get hit pause, get like take that second to get back into it and then get a fucking jump scare. Scared the shit out of me. That's awesome. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Right. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because it's a it's a it's a it's just a great startle moment. It's a yeah. great startle That's moment. Fun. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, of course this jerk Carol put that shit in there just to piss like just to be a jerk. And Julie actually kinda laughs it off, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like uh, that. She's cool. like she yeah, she jumps and then she laughs. I, I like, like that. That was a good moment whatever i'm here tonight and you know it's it's all good yeah um it cuts back to her exploring the mausoleum more and then she hears a weird sound Uh, i just wrote down a weird sound i wasn't sure what it was and she starts running because she gets scared by it she runs back to the chapel grabs a lit candle from uh and then goes back to the flower room. She goes back in the flower room. And almost and she, trips and falls and drops the candle when uh, uh, she opens the door. Because the camera's, you can, you can see it. It's kind of over the headshot. She opens the door. It's kind of like a one shot. And you can tell that Meg Tilly almost like drops the candle. Yeah, she totally almost bailed. But she, yeah. she's a but she's a good actor. So she kept yeah. her composure. She did. <laughs> uh, yeah, she did. She goes, in, she goes in the flower room, gets in her sleeping bag, and tries to go to sleep. 
Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. If that was me, I would sleep in there. Yeah, because yeah, it's the small little confined room, and I would just have my feet against the door the entire time. Ooh, it gives me the shivers just me thinking too. about it. Me too. Um, this movie's, I mean, guys and gals, we've had some fun, you know, joking on it and goofing on it, and that's all well and good. But the truth of the matter is the movie does a very good job of setting the tone, and it has a freaky vibe to it, and I highly recommend watching this in October. It is a very, it's a well, the, the vibe is as, <laughs> as silly as some of the other things are that we've called out is how good they can handle the vibe. So they do do that well. Totally agree. Turn all the lights off. Watch it at night. Don't watch it during the daytime. No. And make sure there's no sound around you. It it, it will freak you out. It will definitely freak you out. Just ease into that. We're so used to now movies like The Conjuring and movies like, uh, yeah, like you said, Hereditary and like, you know, um, uh, all the other supernatural films that have come out, Paranormal Activity or whatever the past 10 years those movies would not exist if it wasn't for movies like this yeah. where this, are, this is very subtle it's very simple filmmaking in the sense like it, it, it just it's the setup and it just goes uh what happens in the third act gets crazy but again it's very practical effects like yeah. uh and and it's done in a way some might look at it and think it's cheesy others might buy into the fact that it is awesome and it actually makes more sense to do it the way they do it oh no i'm gonna defend the hell out of this ending me too and and i will cite everything that i love about it and uh oh yeah oh i can't wait to get to it this movie is a good slow burn but the thing is you say slow burn you think that the you know the first parts are gonna be a little bit boring it's not like all of it's pretty fun but the supernatural factor is a slow burn here Yes, agreed. And speaking of slow burns, uh, Steve shows up at Julie's place. <laughs> that was a great segue. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Steve shows up at Julie's place, no answer, and he's calling for her, and then he's, like, sitting on the porch at her house, right? Yeah. Cut back to Olivia and Alan's. Uh, they're still in their office. Like, the sun's going down. Olivia's reading. Uh, Alan's like, it's been a long day. It's time to hit the sack. Coming upstairs. Sorry. She's like, I'll, I'll be right up. I'm, I'm just want to finish this chapter of my latest Oprah book. Uh, she doesn't say that, but, uh, and Alan leaves, goes upstairs, and after she, after he leaves, uh, she pulls out the cassette tape, and she sits down at the desk and takes out a cassette player and listens to the tape. This is gonna go on throughout. The next, pretty much the the rest of the movie. Yeah, kind of a lot of intercutting back and forth. But oh, we we'd be remiss if we did not mention those uh, curtains and the couch that's in front of the curtains that matches the curtains. Oh my God, the it's early eighties, dude. <laughs> it's a choice. It's, it's a. Cho- I feel like we saw it. Did we see it? Something similar in either Mutant or The Stuff. One of those two movies I can Mutant, picture a scene in my head. Okay, Mutant, where like there was a, a set, like a house, where like the the curtains were the same fabric as the couch. And that's how it is here, except the couch is in front of the closed curtains. So you have like a camouflage predator scenario going here you know where it's like they're blending into it Woo boy that is a look that has not come back since 1981 
never will. Hopefully no. not. Just, Hopefully not. Just like the uh, just like Raj's haircut from Shivers, the long on the side, short on the top. Has yeah. of all the eighties and, and 70s phrase phases that have come back into pop culture, that style has never made its return. Because <laughs> we all agreed as a society. That it's no bueno. Never again. <laughs> Never, Never again. again. <laughs> it was an experiment that we're done with. Right. <laughs> so Julie turns on her t- on a tape player, and it's uh it's an anonymous guy, and he says, "I love this. I love I love uh, one of my favorite modern horror films is a movie called Session Nine, mm. and love that movie. Absolutely love it to the highest degree. And what I love about it is throughout the movie there." Uh, one of the main characters is listening to the audio tapes of a therapist, psychotherapist who has uh, a patient with multiple personalities. It's so creepy. I just love audio tapes. And you mentioned that on our King of New York episode because David Caruso is in that movie. And I said that I never wanted to see it because when I worked at the video store, we had the the Big Wolf, the porn store, but we also had like regular movies in the front. We had like 10 copies of Session 9 on DVD and shrink wrap like behind the counter and they had a layer of dust on them after the years and I I always stared at them. Every time I walked by them, I always saw them. So my head, the covers burned in my brain, but also at the same time the, the, the idea that no one wanted to see it was also burned into my brain. So fast forward to us reviewing King of New York and you mention it I'm like session nine I was like I know that fucking movie like that's actually good and so ever since then I've seen people talk about it on Instagram and whatnot like how awesome it is so I want to go back and rewatch it now but I have a weird weird history with session nine you that's a shame it's a shame you haven't seen it yet it really is you need to you need to Bump that ahead of the fury. I, 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 well, I, I not the fury part, but I was gonna say I think you said that back in uh, the Our King of New York review. <laughs> I'll say it again. I, I think yeah, I'm giving you homework uh, within the next month of this episode airing. You need to watch it within Halloween time because oh, okay. it, that that movie will. I'm not gonna say what it will do to you. Uh, you know the old photographs of uh, kids in Halloween costumes from oh, like yeah. the 1930s yeah. and how freaky, and and it's just a photo. Yeah, it's th- there's no backstory. You don't know the history. You don't know what's going on. But just the photo, that's what Session Nine does to you. Cool. That's awesome. Honestly, I wish someone fucking told me that back in the day because I could have just fucking grabbed one of those fucking DVDs and walked home with it. That that was my go-to when anyone ever said to to me show me a scary movie show okay. me a movie that's going to scare the shit out of me i'm like okay okay here we I go like and then by the end of it, the, they're like uh either they said well, turn it off or holy shit well let me just ask you now you'll never bring it to pad right it's not like totally a pad movie so because if you I, say I could, yes but i don't want i could but i won't okay okay all right, I'll watch it on my own then. I'll watch it on my own. So hopefully uh, either this month or next month, maybe we can talk about it and wrap up After Dark then because I do yeah. should see it. And, and, yeah, please. Yeah, so. You need to. That's your homework. Uh, so the tape. This is a tape. This tape is a summary of my notes for Samuel Dockstetter concerning the Carl Raymar experiments, which I must admit I found quite astounding, but ultimately frightening. From there, you cut back to the mausoleum, Julie is in the flower room trying to sleep and water's dripping from the faucet and she takes a pill that uh, Kitty gave her and lays back down and goes back to sleep. And I like this. Like, this starts this interesting, a bit of a... 
back and forth. Yeah, well, it's for me with the the drug thing. Her like Meg Tilly or Julie being drugged kind of creates a, 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 a an ethereal vibe, like a, like an Alice in Wonderland kind of vibe, you know? Yeah, it really fuels her reactions, which is effective. I love it. Back to the Olivia with her tapes. During the telekinesis experiments, there were times when Raymar's mental force was so great you could actually see a discharge of energy. Once, when we were trying to make a photograph of the energy flash, it reflected off a mirror in the lab and broke some equipment. Remember that for later. Yep. It was that strong, that powerful. Raymar was able to create the effect at will. Cuts back to Julie, uh, and then a really quick, she's just laying down, and then a quick cut to the sisters, and Kitty's got a mask. So it's, you see Julie laying down, and then you immediately cut to the sisters. But Kitty's wearing this freaky-looking old-school uh, Halloween mask. Yeah. And it, it's startling. It almost looked like the Tor mask from Strange Behavior a little bit. Totally. Yeah, it's a great—that's a great link for sure. And, and, and Julie's driving and smoking a joint, and the girls are laughing— and Carol's, you know, they're all goofing on the fact that they're going to get Julie really good, right? And Leslie's in the back, and she's kind of, like, not feeling it now. And kind of Julie's giving backstory of, like, how they're going to get Julie really good tonight, basically alluding to the fact that they're going to go back and scare her some more. So Carol's like, you know, we're going to scare her like my brother did to that new pledge and you're basically alluding that her brother's a frat boy and then they did the same thing to this pledge that she's gonna do to julie which is like makes total sense it tracks yeah, yeah. you know and uh and leslie's like what if we get caught and carol's like who's gonna catch us and she's like i don't know and she's like what was that pill you gave julie and then carol goes demerol and uh, she's going to be so messed up, she won't even know what's going on. You're like, Demerol? What the fuck? And Demerol is like a really serious drug. Yeah, it's it's a, I'm looking it up now. It's an opioid. Um, yeah. And I think it's, it's a painkiller, right? So basically, it just knocks you the fuck out, essentially. Um, I'm not a big, like, pill guy. I'm, I'm much more of a mushrooms and weed guy and DMT guy, but... Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I think the yeah, Demerol apparently it's, it's something that really it sedates you, right? It just really knocks you out. Yeah, and it's it's fitting that somebody like Carol has Demerol. She right. probably got it from her mom's medicine cabinet or right. whatever. And you know, again, screw these two for being so freaking evil. They remind me of Nancy Allen and Carrie. You know that just deceitful, hateful bully. Uh, they remind me a little bit of the bullies in Christine. You know, just like the typical stereotypical bullies that you really want to see get their comeuppance. And again, don't worry, guys. It's going to happen. It will. I forgot Nancy Allen was in Carrie. Oh, yeah. She's great. And Carrie, like, you forget that John Travolta was in Carrie. You know? Yeah, yeah that's Getting right. head from Nancy Allen. <laughs> oh, wild. And and William Cat is in Carrie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, William Cat. I always remember because I'm a big William Cat fan. So yeah, yeah. oh, so good. They so they good. were actually showing Carrie up here in the movie theater. Uh, we were possibly going to go see it because uh, we had we wanted to see a movie, but we didn't really have anything to see, and uh, we were going to possibly see Carrie. But that kind of reminded me that like I haven't seen that movie since like I was in high school, since like the late '90s. You know, talk about a great shock ending. One of yeah. the best shock endings yeah. of all the times. Yeah, and I remember when I watched it, I fucking really enjoyed that film. 
Yeah, if if you want to know the the first movie I saw in the theater since the pandemic started, uh, listen to Podcasting After Dark's wrap up episode at the end of this <laughs> month because I will be doing a little bit of discussion about that experience. Woo-hoo. It was wild. It was wild. <laughs> I cannot wait to talk about that. So, um, yeah. So at this point now, Leslie's pretty much had a change of heart. She's like, "Well, I don't like it. I don't like this. I don't like what's going on here." And Carol's like. Well, then you're not coming? And Leslie's like, I don't know. And she's like, you know, I had to pull over right now. I'll let you out. And she does. She pulls the car over. In, in the first street tunnel. Yeah, in, in, the, in the tunnel. The, the, the and, tunnel that everybody knows. I mean, guys and gals, you've seen this from everything from Transformers to Blade Runner to everything. The the first street tunnel in downtown L.A. Yep. And uh, she literally, and Kitty's like, yeah, why don't you? And she does. She pulls the car over. And she yell, Carol yells at Kitty. She's like, Kitty, open the door and let this turkey out. This turkey. <laughs> turkey. I'm like, screw you. And, uh, and and then so Leslie's like, so what, you're really going to kick me out here? And she's like, yep. You named it. You claimed it. Open the door. And Kitty opens it, does as she's told to. But be- and- begrudgingly, a little bit begrudgingly, Kitty, I mean, Kitty's weak. That's the thing, you know. And yep. uh, but in, and even like. Even Leslie's like, Kitty, are you coming with me? And but no, Carol's too overpowering. And she, yeah, because yeah, Leslie's like, well, you're gonna go with her, and 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 Leslie's got the fucking toothbrush in her mouth, a goddamn toothbrush, so annoying. And uh, and and she's like, sure as hell, she sure is. She's a real sister. Come on, Kitty, shut the door. We're out of here. And of course, Kitty is like. Even begrudgingly, she still's like, okay, okay, you know, and goes with the flow. I cannot yep. stand her character. It just drives me nuts. I know. Anyways, I know. They drive off, leave Leslie in the tunnel, and Leslie has to walk back the other direction in her beautiful sister satin jacket. Yeah, and her her jeans that ride up real high. But we'll we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I think you just did talk about that. Oh, no. no, no. Uh, I, have, I have much more to say about it. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> so cut back to Steve at Julie's. He finally leaves her house. I guess he's been sitting out there for what probably was a couple hours. Uh, and then he, he takes off. Uh, cut back to the mausoleum and Julie's asleep. And you cut to Carol at the mo- outside the mausoleum in the cemetery hopping over the wall. Followed by Kitty with her Un- toothbrush. In Ungracefully. Her... Yes. <laughs> and they run through the cemetery uh, and they stop at a grave. And it's the grave like like the, you know, before a body is buried or right after it's buried, there's a big mound of dirt. And there's usually like fake grass on top. And they're kind of spotting that. And it looks like it's kind of moving. And they're like, what is that? And they go to lift the grass off, and this guy, this homeless dude, sits up and screams out, and they scream. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, I'm going, I'm going. This is a fun little bait-and-switch moment. I, I really enjoyed this this scene. It's it's fun, and it didn't doesn't, have, doesn't apply to anything. You know, it's not applicable to anything later, but it's a fun little moment. I was like, good job, you know, like, good job, One Dark Night. I like this moment. Yeah, I I think it works in the sense that they still also get can get the shit scared out of them yeah, too, yeah. which is great. And 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 so at that point, Carol's like, "Do me a favor, don't stop the sightsee anymore." And and then like 
Kitty bumps into Carol, which startles her again like an idiot. <laughs> that was funny, too. I mean, yeah. It is funny. And I'm like, you two bumbling idiots. Oh, God, please hurry up and get their asses handed to you. Cut back to the Santa Monica Pier at night. And Steve's rolling down on his motorcycle. And he's, like, looking in the arcade. I'm assuming he's looking for Julie in the arcade. Yeah, of course, yeah. And then he goes to a payphone to make a phone call. And you see this mysterious woman who just happens to be married to the director now, which is funny. And there's an interview with her on the Blu-ray, which it's very entertaining because it's like she's getting to talk about the one movie she was in as Lucy. And uh, and he's he calls, uh, Steve calls Carol's house asking where Carol is or if he knows where she's going to be. And basically he doesn't get any information out of her. And he's like, okay, sorry to bother you and hangs up. And then he looks over at Lucy, who's like staring blankly out into nothing she, by the payphone. She looks stoned out of her gourd. She's on she drugs. Like. If I watched this as a kid, I didn't. I wouldn't have understood it. Now I'm like, oh no, I get it. She's like on E or something like that. She's she's on something. Now, granted, the only if she were in real life, her her pupils would be huge and dilated. And if I was ever going to remake this movie, I would make that make her wear some kind of contacts that look that way. But yeah, she's supposed to be on like drugs. She's very mellow and, and LSD. Like, who yeah, knows? something, yeah. something. She's on something. She's on something. And uh, and he Steve like looks over at Lucy and he's like, Lucy, do you know Leslie Winslow? Now we know Leslie's last name. Yeah. And Lucy's like, yeah. And he goes, do you have her number? Yeah. Well, could you give it to me? Sure, but it wouldn't do you any good. Why? Because she's not home. Well, how do you know? Because she just left here a few minutes ago. Boy, is she mad at Carol. And then she smiles. Yeah. yeah. And, and, like, and, she didn't, and Zach's not exaggerating. This is how like she's like delivering her lines completely. Yep. Yeah, usually I exaggerate. This time I didn't. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's like, you know, uh what is she mad at? For what? And, he, and she goes, who knows? Stop by looking for Doug. And I'm like, who the fuck is Doug? Oh, that's the guy with the hickey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, said Carol's a sicko and left. Steve's like, well, you know where she went? I guess she's walking home. She lives about a mile down Greenfield Avenue. Well, did she say anything about Julie? Who? Never mind. Thanks. And then... Steve walks off to get on his bike and leave. And she's like, hey, I thought you and Carol broke up. And he gets on his motorcycle and he's like, we did. <laughs> Starts his motorcycle and pulls off. And then she like has this pause and then is like, oh, OK. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. Far out, man. Far <laughs> Peace, out. man. Yeah. But like it, there, that kind of gives you this idea that there's like this citywide gossip going on that Carol and Steve aren't together anymore. Of course, Steve's the head honcho. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> he's, he's got a man's body. But... <laughs> he's, got a ma- he's a man. <laughs> he's a man. But Carol has a woman's body. So it works. Show, throw Cheryl and Finn in there and you got yourself a stew full of adults. <laughs> Plain high schoolers. <laughs> Cut back to Olivia, who's listening to the tape. Later on, Raymar worked with some small laboratory animals. By touching them, he could actually drain the life from them. Then he would animate them, that is, not bring them back to life, but move them with his mind to startle the other animals. It was shocking to see, it was, it was shocking to realize what this man was capable of. Literally the power of life and death. 
He seemed obsessed with trying to discover the actual experience of dying. Okay, that's creepy. Yeah, and 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 is extremely important information for you to understand as the viewer later as to why uh, the bodies sort of behave the way that they do. Um, we're going to discuss that so much when the time comes. But right now, I think that like this is ex- this is one of the most important pieces of dialogue in the film, I believe. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad I wrote it down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you read it, too. <laughs> you're like, so, it would have been great if you're like, yeah, I didn't write any of this down. This was, none of this was important. <laughs> yeah, this important. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Uh, n- this next scene's not that important, but I still wrote it down anyways. So anyways, Carol and, uh, and, and Kitty are back at the cemetery sneaking into the mausoleum through, like, the, the storage room of the uh, cleaning staff. And they get in through the window. Uh, Kitty falls when she gets in and she's like holding her ankle and Carol's like, what? And she's like, I think I hurt my foot. And Carol's like, great. And And that's, no, it's okay. And like, fuck you. You know, the two of you suck. The two of you totally suck. And the, the thing with like Kitty's ankle doesn't come into play at all so that that's the only thing that kind of, I was like, eh, cause this is now like twice when she jumps off earlier the the you mentioned it she kind of like flat falls on her face you know it's just it, there's two times there were two times that they were trying to tell you that something was going to happen with her ankle and then it doesn't get paid off at all that that's a little annoying right there but what does get paid off again is the fucking toothbrush goes in kitty's mouth <laughs> and course. she's walking around with a toothbrush can't and forget they, that because nope. because the writer slash director loves it it's the worst it's one of the worst it's literally one of the worst like accessories ever in a movie well yeah like acting choices yeah exactly yeah um so they kitty and carol walk out of the storage room into the main uh mausoleum and start walking around uh they're they're creeped out but they're looking for julie uh cut to raymar's gravestone and it starts and it continues to crunch 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 Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. Finally, Carol spots Julie's uh, candle light under a doorway, and she kind of 
you know, motions to Kitty about it. Well, and, and Kitty jumps in this. She's like, gee, you're emotional. Yeah, she's like, you're emotional. So, oh, God. It's like gee, the two of them suck so yeah. much. Uh, and and they, they, they go and hide away from the room. And they're right in. So the, the flower room is kind of uh, perpendicular to uh to Raymar's gravestone area and they're hiding in right near Raymar's grave. Yeah. Uh Carol takes a vase from one of the graves and throws it at the flower room which breaks. Oh my god, it's so annoying. It's so annoying. They're just fucking with Julie. Julie wakes up uh from from her hypersleep and she gets up from and goes outside. <laughs> Good one, buddy. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it kind of came to me. And and she goes outside like in a in a day. She's staggering. Yeah, she's She's staggering staggering because she's because she's zonked out of her head. Yeah, she's fucking on whatever uh, uh, Demerol. Like, yeah, yeah, she. And I think Meg Tilly does a good job sort of conveying that that headspace. Totally. And 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 again, I'll go back to the carry the carry um, connection that, you know, they're, they're, the way they're bullying her is kind of the same way they bullied Carrie a little bit, not with blood, obviously, but just in that way of like really preying upon her psychologically m- messing with her head. Like, uh, you, I mean, you use the correct word. They're preying on her like the bullies that I experienced very remotely in any time in my life. It was always like happenstance this they are going out of their way to fucking bully her i i, I had the, look i had this shit happen to me when i was 11 uh i was the first one to fall asleep at a sleepover and i love this shit where people are like don't be the first one to fall asleep because that's when you're like who that's not a friend if they're gonna do that so these these dudes put laundry detergent on my face and it was in the middle of the summer so it stuck to my face then they put a snail on my face then they put uh, hard dog food in my mouth. So I woke up f- spitting up. I could have choked on this probably too. Woke up spitting out the dog food. Uh, the the bleed the the detergent was like staining my face. I had like the, detergent stains for like a week. The, what the snail fuck? shit? The yeah. the worst thing we did if someone fell asleep early, we'd be like, yeah, look at that guy he fell asleep early, and then we'd go back to doing our shit like. Like the thought would never even cross my or like Luke or Jay anybody well, any yeah. of my friends' minds to like fuck with the other person. It Those just, are real friends. Yeah, the ones who aren't friends do this shit. Those these are the friends that fortunately they didn't put my hand in warm water and make me piss my pants. You yeah, know? but people have had that happen to them. That's fucked up too. All drawing on people. Yeah, like, all of that shit is fucked up. You know, you no, know, it's like, all fucked up, man. Like, like the all- the worst thing. <laughs> the worst thing I did was I had it like my best friend uh, growing up, uh, Robbie. Um, <laughs> he was the kind of guy that would fall asleep at like nine o'clock and wake up at like six. And I was the kind of kid that would stay up till like two. And then I would watch all of his cable channels. Like I would watch all the Skinamax shit because I just would stay up on late on the weekends. But then Luke and I would start hanging out and Luke would stay up late with me. And it sadly kind of phased out Robbie a little bit because you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know, man. Like, that's that's a huge thing when you're, like, fucking, like, 10 years old. If one person's going to fall asleep at 9 and I'm going to stay up till 2, I'm kind of going to hang out with the person that's going to stay up till 2 with me, you know? That, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally, and, and I get And that. I never that, did that, anything to Robbie when he was asleep. I just fucking watched, I watched his cable. That was the worst thing I did. Did you just watch it? <laughs> I jerked off, too. 
<laughs> and dude, this is when I discovered like fucking Laura Gemser and everything. <laughs> I fished and I caught bass. <laughs> you knew um, what you were fishing for, baby. I sure was. So <laughs> yeah. So uh, speaking of gelatinous type material yeah. uh carol throws this like it's it's Gook. labeled ooze on the can but it's like slime it's fake slime they throw it throws it at julie hits her in the face which obviously freaks julie out because she thinks she's alone has no idea that anyone else is there she gets hit with this slime on her face and runs off down the hall they carol and kitty laugh and then carol's like <laughs> and has like the cheesiest line ever where she's holding and she's like this goop is the best and it's just yeah. i'm like first off you didn't need that line second off throwing fucking slime on someone's face you are a monster you are a fucking monster this is just the beginning because now kitty pulls out this fake severed hand and she's like you remember that peter lorry film where the hand got it what carol's like oh yeah what cut are, that out what film are they referring to i don't know i i don't know i mean i know peter lorry from what m right uh yeah, uh, yeah but like in in Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and shit like that but like i don't know what they're meaning by the hand I don't know. He he was a bunch. He was in a bunch of Roger Corman horror films yeah. too. I think so. Probably something like that. But um, cuts back to Raymar's grave and it cracks even more. And so now, Carol tells Kitty, you know, take that hand and run down the hallway and see if you can hit her in the face with it or something like that. And uh, and Kitty's like, all right, what are you gonna do? And Carol's like, I'll be right here when you chase her back this way. And Kitty's like, cool. And they're like, yeah cool and they're having this really stupid moment where you're like oh you two i hate you so much kitty runs off julie runs aimlessly through the mausoleum uh and then suddenly kitty finds her and she's waiting for her and julie is like staggering in the hallway and kitty is behind julie she throws the severed hand in front of julie so julie sees it land on the ground julie like just doesn't move she's frozen solid but the hand has like a string connected to it and kitty's like pulling the string so it looks like the hand's crawling towards julie um but, and but yet kitty has nowhere to go behind her as as julie's walking backwards yeah she's an idiot and she's running out of room she's gonna back into a wall in a minute yeah and julie will back into her as well um because in front of the hand further down the hallway is what appears to be a ghost with a creepy mask. We know it's Carol with a sheet on and she's coming towards uh, Julie and it's pretty creepy actually the way she's moving. Yeah. It's, it's well shot. It's, it's very well shot. It's very well done. Yeah. It's very creepy. And uh, Julie backs into Kitty who they kind of bump into the wall. Kitty screams, Julie screams and runs off because she doesn't realize it's Kitty. She doesn't turn and look at her. She just like, which is great, uh, by the way, great acting because she doesn't turn around. She just bumps into her. Obviously, she's freaked out and she runs off into the mausoleum. And and this scene is like, it's a weird setup and it could have failed so miserably. But but I think, honestly, I think Tommy McLaughlin is, is a good director i think that he got what he needed here i think every piece of this worked just even down to what you said which is it was a good job meg tilly doesn't like turn around all it could have gone this scene could have gone off the rails at any point in time and he kept it together and it's actually very effective 
yeah, no, I totally agree. It's it's good. It's creepy. Um, it's only going to get creepier. Mm-hmm. From there, uh, you cut to Steve on his motorcycle, and he finds Leslie walking home, and he confronts her. He kind of pulls his motorcycle in front of her. He's like, hey, where's Julie? And she's like, why are you asking me? And he's like, why do you think? And she's like, I guess she's still in there. And he's like, in where? And she's like, look, it wasn't my idea, okay? And he's like, where? Well, they're initiating her. He's like, damn it, where are they? And she's like, they're in the mausoleum. Look, we really didn't think she was going to do it. And he's like, listen, you mean she's out in the cemetery somewhere? And she's like, no, she's inside the mausoleum. He's like, what? I told Carol the whole thing was really stupid, okay? But they're going to terrorize her. He's like, damn her, stupid. And uh, and I love this because she's like, it was some sort of broken window they're going to walk through. And she starts to walk away from him, and he revs the bike closer to her, and he almost runs her over. Yeah, and, and apparently this is when he almost, in real life, almost ran over her foot. So when she says, watch it, that's the actress, like, actually saying it, you know. But And you can tell she gets a little frazzled by it, too. And what I think what compounds everything is apparently the actor who plays Steve didn't know how to ride a motorcycle for this, so he had to be taught. So he's not really, like, controlling it, like, as someone who's been riding a motorcycle for years, you know? That's really interesting, yeah, because, yeah, her reaction feels very authentic. Yes, it does. And, uh, but the scene continues, which is a testament to both actors because they continue to, yep. to, to do the scene. Uh, yep. And uh, he goes to grab her. He grabs her, actually, pretty aggressively, and, she's like, and he's like, come on. She's like, what do you mean, come on? He's like, you're going to show me where it is. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm not going there. And he, she goes, no way. I'm not going in that place. If you want to go, you go, Hugo. Yeah, that was funny. You go, Hugo. And he's like, thanks a lot. He goes, those guys are in a lot of trouble now. And he revs his motorcycle and he rolls off. And then it's interesting. He rolls off and she, the camera's still on her. And she looks like she's going to say something. She looks like she's about to mouth something, but then doesn't. And then the scene ends. Yeah. And so the first time I was watching this uh, with my wife, the whole time I'm like, I'm staring at her camel toe because she has an insane camel toe. And it's it's exasperated by a hard light to the right that's kind of creating a shadow. And I'm not saying anything. Halfway through the scene, like halfway through, my, my wife's not saying anything. She's like, is that is that a camel toe? Like, what is that? She, she's like, what is happening with that poor girl's camel toe? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a shadow. I don't know if it's her pants. I, I don't know. But I was wondering the exact same thing. But it's funny because halfway through the scene, Myra just, we're all, we're both quiet. And Mary, Myra's just like, what's up with that girl's camel toe? <laughs> Did someone say camel toe? <laughs> <laughs> it's me. I'm back. The 80s. Camel toe and moose knuckle. <laughs> the 80s guys and gals were famous for gene camel toes. Oh. oh. Back to Olivia's house, <laughs> listening to the tape. <laughs> and the tape, the guy on the tape is like, doing some hereditary studies, we found that members of the same family often possess similar psychic powers. Even children raised apart from the parents may be capable of psychic abilities. When I asked about Raymar's daughter, he almost violently refused to discuss her. His reaction was strange, strong, almost protective in a way. The children can often have psychic abilities and not realize what they are. It may be worth testing the daughter at some time. Considering the strength of his, of his powers, considering the strength of his powers, it would be interesting to follow up on. 
and and that's cool you know yeah, like I, yeah. I i mean that leads into yeah. like her she's got the abilities yeah and and on top of it like it kind of makes you rethink about the opening scene and what she's seen in there and everything like that yeah yeah i was like i like this i like this a lot yeah it's cool um from there you cut to the uh the chapel in the mausoleum and julie you hear julie praying she's literally going through the our father who art thou in heaven the whole blah 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 uh mumbo jumbo and you realize that she's praying underneath a pew uh in the chapel just terrified freaked out of her gourd probably like her brain is mush at this point cuts to carol and kitty stalking the hallways they're both dressed in like white sheets with masks in their hands and uh they go and they they see they grab they see Julie's stuff in the flower room, and you know Katie's like, "Hey Carol, here's her stuff. Wouldn't it be real funny if we were to plant the stuff around?" <laughs> and Carol's like, "Hey, looks like a new arrival," and she spots Raymar's grave, and Katie's like, "Well, wait, what are you doing?" And Carol's like, "Wait a second, I just want to take a look. What's the matter?" And they and she starts walking up to Raymar's grave, and Kitty looks like sad. And she's like, well, all this stuff reminds me of when my uncle died. Funerals are weird. And like, okay, so you have no problem totally terrorizing this girl. But the minute you start going towards a real grave, that's that crosses a line for you. And, and, no. then, and then she says, funerals are weird. I'm like, yeah, funerals are they're weird. Not weird. And- they're weird. They're sad. They're 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 not normal. You know what I mean? Like we don't do them every day, but they're not weird they're not weird and you got a fucking toothbrush in your yeah. mouth so yeah, you're weird and then carol's like "Ooh, this one smells fresh who the fuck says that uh a homicide uh, a sociopath sociopath yeah yeah and then carol's like uh kitty's like don't do that and she's like and then carol says do you prefer your corpses fresh or rotted and then she reads the sign and she's like carl Raymarsevich. raymar whoa and Kitty's like, well, who's he? And then Carol's like, you haven't heard about this weirdo? He can move things with his mind. You know, tell a, tell a, tell a something. Anyway, they found a whole bunch of dead girls in his apartment. I, I kind of like that dialogue. I like that she didn't know telekinesis, you know? She's just Oh, like, it's great. Yeah, that was cool. She's, that was fine. Yeah. But yeah. who says, like, ah, that smell thing? That's so horrible. So gross, yeah. And she's like, real bizarre guy. And Kitty says... He could really move things with his mind. And Carol's like, of course not. My dad said he was a fake. Like, of course, a little rich girl would say this. Yeah, of course. A spoiled brat. Because you listen to everything your daddy says. Of course. And uh, and then Kitty, which is good. She's like, why is that cracked? She's looking at the, the marble. And I like that they address that. I do like that they actually address it. Me too. Me too. And Carol's like, I don't know. Maybe he wants out. Ah! She shouts. And then Kitty <laughs> screams. And Carol laughs. And... And then Carol's like, hey, guess what? I still have half a joint in my pocket. And Kitty's like, you want to smoke it right here? Carol says, well, sure, why not? Who's going to bust us? This is definitely better than the last smoke. And she just starts toking up and hitting that shit. I mean, it was was a decently rolled joint. I mean, I was like, yeah, that's that's a good joint right there. I saw it. I appreciate it. Yeah. And then Kitty takes a hit, takes the toothbrush out, takes her hit, puts the toothbrush back in. And then finally, Carol says, why do you always chew on that toothbrush? And Kitty's like, I don't know. I guess I just like the way it tastes. Which which like is way- kind of exactly what I think 
the director's friend said. Like that's almost like a direct quote, essentially. Oh, it's so stupid. It it's is. Just, it's it ugh, is. It's so. Guys it takes nothing away from the movie. No, no. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Takes nothing away from this movie, but the whole time I'm like, that's such a dumb fucking character choice right there. You know. Yeah. And and you really hope you really hope that Tom McLaughlin has um you know the he has the right comeuppance for these two annoying ass characters because yeah. they are so annoying yeah um and so Carol's like oh well after that because that's clearly just inserted there by the by the the director and the writer right of course just that line yeah oh well let's get back to business yeah Did sicko want to hit and <laughs> she like flicks the joint at Raymar's grave yeah. oh good call carol because guess what after that happens they run off and raymar everything near raymar is shaking because he is so angry you know like his energy is just shaking everything around yeah, and, and are you going to talk about when Carol puts on the mask and, like, runs like Scooby-Doo, like a Scooby-Doo thing? Like, she's like, yeah, let's put it on. And she puts on her mask. She runs it all. She does that, like, look right, look left, and then run left. Everything that the actress does is, like, acting 101. Like, it's a cartoon. Seriously. I mean, it's kind of fitting because she's probably stoned at this point. Yeah. She's like super. She's running off the adrenaline of terrorizing Julie. You, you know what? You're actually right. I, I should have thought of that. She's actually stoned right now. So she's like kind of a little bit goofy. You, you are correct there. And you know what? I'll, t- I'll take it back. I'll take this part back. Earlier with the whole phone call thing where she kind of does that like maniacal smile thing. That's acting 101 here. She's acting like she's stoned, and I think that is what I would do if I were stoned. I would look right, look left, and then run left. <laughs> Good they call, run Zach. Off. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And uh, Julie cuts back to Julie. She's under the pew uh, in the chapel, and this is when all hell breaks loose because Raymar Raymar breaks out like his his energy. The 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 wall cracks. Um, the, the, all the furniture around the, his, 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 uh, grave starts breaking the chairs and whatnot. Uh, pink neon light is shooting out of the mausoleum wall. Love it. Love it. Spirit energy is moving through the mausoleum, almost like evil dead where it's that POV shot of the energy, just like searching for someone to take over. Yeah. Uh, and it cuts to everybody freak being freaked out. Julie's freaked out. Carol and Kitty are freaked out. Uh, just energies barreling through the church, uh, or the chapel energy blasts the door open. The pews start getting hit one by one and they're falling over like dominoes. Uh, Julie like barrel rolls out of the way of the pews so that she doesn't get knocked over. That's cool. And then you immediately cut the Steve on his motorcycle on his way. <laughs> He's in, driving through the fucking tunnel. And by yeah, the way, driving through the tunnel again. And we'll Don't see play. we'll see Olivia drive through the tunnel later. They they I think I think they filmed in the tunnel in one day or one night, and they just loaded up every shot that they needed to load up. That's great. Yeah, yeah. and it makes sense because well, and it makes sense. Like it's a very signature identifiable place okay we yeah. know where they're headed and, and smart and you have to like fucking you have to shut down the road and everything to do it so if you're gonna yeah i, I think honestly they probably filmed there for about two hours and got every just got every shot that they needed you know exactly you cut back to julie she gets up out of the chapel and she runs out 
runs to the front of the entrance of the mausoleum, tries to get out, but it's locked. And she's just freaking out at this point, clearly. Like, she's just, you know, (laughs) terrified. And it's not just locked. There's actually no handles on the inside. And I was wondering if that's like a real mausoleum thing. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it's, and you can only sort of access it from the outside. I kind of like that. I actually thought that was, was neat. That makes total sense. That makes total sense. Yeah. That they keep the dead in. Yeah. I feel like that's like one of those like old school, like mentalities or or whatever, you know, but yeah. Yeah. And we don't have a superstition or something. Yeah. Superstition. Yeah. And guys and gals, there's literally only like 15 minutes left in the movie. It ramps up very fast. Yeah, it does. So, cause it cuts back to Carol and Kitty going in the chapel and they see all the damage and they automatically assume that it's Julie that did all the damage. Carol says something like, you know, she must have tore it up or she must have gone crazy. And Kitty's like, yeah, let's let's get out of here. Like now they're they're ready to go. Yeah. They're freaked out, too. Yeah. <laughs> and Carol's like, OK, let's go, you know, and uh, cuts back to Steve at the cemetery gates, uh, the, the front entrance. And he breaks the lock off, opens up the gate. Rides his motorcycle in to save the day. Yeah, Steve. Go save that day. Go, Steve. (laughs) Cuts back to Carol and Kitty. uh, Just taking off their costumes and everything, and they dump their shit on the ground. I'm like, fuck you guys. Like, you're the the, the trashing, leaving their trash everywhere. Oh, it just drives me nuts. And they leave their shit on the ground, and they're ready to split. And they go past Raymar's grave. Cut to Raymar's grave. It's still cracking open. It's glowing again, the pink. Uh, it cuts to Julie on the ground in front of the uh, doors still trapped inside, and she's totally freaked out, shaking. Um, Steve is cuts to Steve on the outside looking for a way in, and he goes by a window, and it happens to be a stained glass window, and Julie sees it from her angle from the inside, and she sees a shadow of this weird guy like making these. He's uh, like he's like acting like a monkey, guys. It's yeah, Moomin Chance it's, movements. You know, like what are you fucking miming or something here? It's ridiculous. I laughed the first time I saw I saw it. I, I'm not gonna lie. Again. There's no hate for this movie whatsoever, but it's got some silly moments and fucking Steve in the windows, like fucking doing some exaggerated like mime motions. And then, you know, fucking Meg Tilly being like, ah, I got to be scared of that and running. You're like, it's just a goober against a window fucking making motions. You wouldn't be scared of that. But you have to couple it with the fact that she's on the, the, the that drug, you know, and I think that. You got to remember what her mental state is, right? When she saw that. For us, it's silly, but for her, obviously, it's fucking terrifying. It's terrifying. So, two theories. One, that could have been her perception of what it looked like. Right. uh, Because she was on drugs. And two, he could have been pushing against the window to see if there was a way to open it. And that's why he was making his hands move the way it was. But it still looked like Momenchant's miming shit. Yeah. Momenchant's. It was those weird guys on Sesame Street with the weird like boxes on their head and they'd open up a box and it'd be like a different face inside. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. creepy. But okay. cool. Okay. Creepy and cool. Um, yeah. So see, he tries to look for a way in and she gets freaked out and she runs off and Steve's like calling for Julie, right? And then it cuts back to uh, Olivia's house 
and she's listening to the tape. Whatever Raymar's powers or capabilities were, the temptation for him to use them wrongly seemed to have been great. You could sense an, you could sense an evil presence about him. His special abilities and powers made me very afraid of what the man was capable of in, his, in this life, or, may, or even in death. Noted. Note that. Noted and note that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so the tape finishes, right? And you hear like a clock ticking. Olivia sitting at the table. And then she starts like closing her eyes and chanting to like almost make a psychic link. She's chanting mausoleum, the mausoleum, show me the mausoleum. Yeah. And it's great. She makes like a psychic link to see what's going on in the Mm -hmm. mausoleum. Cuts to Carol and Kitty now running through the mausoleum trying to get out. And and it's cool because it starts, it's a nice scene transition because it kind of starts you, it's, it's almost like a floaty POV as Carol and Kitty are running by. So, you know, you're seeing from Olivia's point of view and then it just kind of cuts into that scene where you can kind of tell that it's not really Olivia's point of view anymore. It's now just into that scene. And I I like that a lot. That was a very well done scene transition. Yes. Very cool. It's very cool. And now basically all three uh, girls, teenagers are, all freaking out in the mausoleum. Yeah, because you got like Carol and Kitty running towards, like, screen towards us. And then in the background, you see like fucking Meg Tilly run by. They look back. It's just, it's pandemonium at this point. Pandemonium. There, there are some lights on in the mausoleum, and the lights get turned off yeah. uh, by Raymar, uh, his energy. Carol and Kitty are now at the front door banging on it for help where Julie was, but now she's in another place. The pink neon light from Raymar is now changing to white light and starts breaking vases near uh, Kitty and Carol as they're running. And as they're running, you can tell by like the height of it that it's just people throwing things at them. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> but it it's, is, it's, yeah. it's fine. It, it's fine. It's practical. It's, it's practical. Fine. It's, hey, it's not CGI. <laughs> exactly. Cuts back to Olivia, like, you know, still psychically linking. And then you cut to cut back to Carol and Kitty. And Kitty's saying to Carol, she's like, I'm so scared. How are we going to get out? And then right after she says that, one of the stone marble grave markers above uh, above them falls off the wall and to the ground, freaking them out. They turn and they back against, put their backs against the wall and they watch like in fear. I just wrote down that they're frozen in fear and mm-hmm. that tracks, you know, the mm-hmm. people are so scared. So they can't even move. Uh, after the big stone, uh, face of the grave falls off, the uh, coffin starts coming out of the grave and, uh, and it moves down slowly, almost like it's levitating. Yes. Wink, wink, yes. because that's what Raymar's doing. Mm-hmm. It's exactly why that happens. It's mm-hmm. not cheesy special effects. Nope. No. Oh, it's no, no. It's all about levitation. Yep. It's all about levitation, Holmes. Yep. No, dude, I'm I'm going to defend this, this uh, third act, uh, this last 15 minutes. I will die on the hill defending it because it's not cheesy at all. It's actually fucking awesome yeah it's so awesome as this coffin comes out slowly and it it gently goes down to the ground it opens up and it cuts back to kitty and carol looking terrified as shit the coffin opens up and inside is this slimy dead corpse his face is covered in slimy goop uh, which tracks back to the ooze that carol was throwing at julia julie earlier and right after that the 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 dead corpse 
eyes open. And as soon as that happens, you cut to Olivia screaming and back to, and then, and then it cuts back to the dead guy with Carol and Kitty. So fucking good, dude. This whole scene is amazing. Yeah. The, uh, the finally Carol and Kitty like start to move, right. And start to get away from them, get away from the body. Uh, but Raymar's grave is glowing and the body from the grave leaves the gra- uh leaves the coffin and starts floating towards them. Yeah. Right. And then you cut immediately back to Olivia's house. Olivia startles Alan in the bedroom. Olivia, what happened? <laughs> I, I'm I'm not gonna get dressed and go with you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you about it. Right? And she's like she's like, I'm going back there, back to the mausoleum. Why? She's like, I've got to stop him. Who? My father, Alan. Things are th- there are things you don't understand, and there's no time to explain. Olivia. Olivia! <laughs> don't try to stop me. Do you realize how crazy this sounds? Let me get my bat belt. And <laughs> Olivia, Olivia, you can't keep on with this. And she's like, I have to, Alan. And she leaves. Right? Yeah, and without Alan, because <laughs> Alan's a terrible husband. <laughs> yeah, he's a terrible husband. He's in it. He's in it. He's, she's, you know, yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> From there, you cut back to Steve. He finally finds a way in. It's the same storage closet as Carol and Kitty. Uh, then you cut back to Carol and Kitty trying to get out of the mausoleum. Uh, Raymar's coffin, uh, marble slab glows even more. Kitty falls to the ground and she's like, I can't go on anymore. And she like starts to pass out, but yeah. it seems like it was like faint or something. Yeah. Or like throw up. Like, yeah, it doesn't really explain because also too the camera's kind of on Carol. So you don't really see what she's doing. Although I will say like Kitty's reaction, her body's just like crumbling, you know? Yeah. Cause they, I think it's realistic. Yeah. Essentially they're, they're, they're struck with fear. They're trapped. There's a fucking dead corpse following them around. And then this is when Raymar's grave marker explodes. Pink light shoots out and his coffin starts coming out slowly. The coffin hits the ground same way that the first one did methodically. Which is awesome. Uh, Which is awesome. So awesome. Love it. It it opens up and it reveals Raymar. So Raymar is never an actor. For the rest of the movie, it's like a, a... puppet you know like a, a dummy there but it works so well because it creates this weird disconnect as a viewer and and it creates i think what actual like funerals like you know that weird feeling that you get when you look at a loved one you're like i know that that's not you anymore because you're it's just a husk of a body and i love 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 the fact that that they didn't use an actor to play Raymar, and it's just like a, a a puppet type of thing. It's so effective. It's it works so well. It it's awesome. But on top of it, 
apparently the guy who created it, the special effects person, uh, he had a mold of Christopher Walken's face uh, that he used to build the sculpt off of. So you can kind of see Christopher Walken a little bit in the, the Raymar wow, because it is fact. it is built off of him, off of his like bone structure and everything. But uh, I love it, man. I love what I love everything this movie does in this last act. That's really cool. I didn't know that. And and yeah, I echo your sentiment. It um, lightning is like shooting out of his eyes and he looks like a possessed corpse. Looks, it's a corpse. It, it's, it's exactly what a corpse looks like. Um, it, it doesn't have much know, some, animation to it. You know, it's, it's very, nope. it's very, it's very just like stagnant. It's like standing there, but that's, it, that tracks, you know, well, what tracks about all of this is that, yeah, Raymar's starts shooting more lightning out and more coffins start coming out, more bodies. And if they do, uh, various corpses come out and they all look a little bit different. What I love about this as well is they float out and it's and they're not zombies. What they are, they're they're still dead. They're just being moved by Raymar's energy, which totally makes sense. None of this seems preposterous at all. The bodies, some of them look a little more plastic than others do. And 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 for me, I'm like, we've all seen uh, like dead bodies that that sometimes the 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 morgue guy or whatever, the mortuary guy, dolls up right to look more. And it looks like you said they look totally fake or whatever. Everything tracks for me. Everything makes total sense to me. Yeah. And, so. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to talk about it now while we're here, because for the rest yeah. of the the movie, I don't want to address this. I want to get it all out now. So, whenever you see the corpses move, it's like they're on dollies, and yeah. that would that would suck, except for the fact that the director does a great job of doing these insertion shots of showing the corpse feet dragging across the floor. So. You, they're floating. They're not reanimated corpses like you think, like you've seen in a million fucking other movies. This is One Dark Night. This is the only movie you're going to see where a fucking psychic guy dies and then somehow comes back to life and reanimates dead people by floating them around. And they explain it in the the the, the cassette tapes earlier, you know, and it yep. fucking... It's, these corpses are no different than if he was psychically moving like a chair or a table or whatever. It doesn't matter to him. He's just using things to do it. It's freaky because he's using corpses. And to top it all off, the special effects people who created the corpses did such an amazing job. This this would not work if they didn't look real. And I'd say they look fucking amazing, especially since like the corpses don't have like they're not like zombies. They're not making any expressions. They're not doing anything, which is fucking freaky unto itself. They're just dead bodies floating. It's so good. It's also so unique. You've never yeah. seen this before. Seriously, it's awesome and it's scary as shit. It's freaky as shit and it's completely effective. And it's PG. And it's PG. <laughs> and you hit the nail on the head too with um you know psychic energy moving furniture 
and sliding and no one bats an eye. So just keep that in mind when you see the dead bodies moving around. It's the exact same thing uh, that they're doing. And what's great is Carol and Kitty are so terrified. And you have to also keep in mind that they're teenagers, you know, and they've probably never seen this before. And this is horrifying stuff. So for the fact that they're kind of frozen in terror makes total sense. You know, the, I wrote I wrote down they're crying, they're screaming, they're probably pissing themselves. Yeah. Um, the, all, the corpses are just coming out and just lunging towards them. Uh, and, and now they kind of back Carol and, and, and Kitty, not in a corner, but against a wall. Um, and, and they, and they get away for a minute and then they stop. They're running down this hallway, uh, away from the bodies. They think it's over. And I wrote spoiler. It's not Mm -hmm. because they hear a sound and turn. And in the darkness down this long hallway, they see another corpse coming right towards them. And then a slimy corpse lands on Carol out of nowhere. And then Kitty watches pathetically as, as this is going on. And another corpse lands on her and kind of slams him against the wall. And then you cut back to Raymar, who's sending more lightning from his eyes. Uh, dead bodies are piling on top of Carol and Kitty, smothering them against this mausoleum wall. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Because, uh, because you know, it's literally dead weight. So yeah. it's it's these these corpses are falling on them. They can't get up. They can't push them off. And again, you have to remember that these are like teenage girls. And the corpse looks, the corpses look real. Like, I yeah. mean, they're gross. There's one military guy with like half a face. And then they, she pulls off like part of it. And the Carol pulls half yeah, his face and, off. And like, and then there's an, another one that like is oozing. It's like, you know, slime and it's fucking, you know, decomposition on her. It's, it's fucking freaky. It's gross. It's, it's everything you want, man. It's, it's everything you want from a fucking horror movie. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, Kitty like kicks one in the chest to, to, but then it ends up going through the, the, the corpse's body. And I think there's meant to be maggots, but they're yeah. clearly mealy worms, Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which are just, you know, I feed them to my bearded dragon. It's like, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm like, I, those are mealy worms. Anyways, <laughs> they're just getting covered by bodies on top of bodies. It's, it's kind of funny at one moment. Cause the bodies are just like piling on top of them. And then next thing you know, you see like the life of Carol and Kitty's hands just kind of go out and they are dead. Yeah. That's the way, that's the best way they could go out being covered in maggot infested, slime infested, gore, goopy, disgusting corpses. And they got smothered to death. Yeah. They got everything that they deserved. I mean, in, in guys and gals, like, Y'all want to be like, oh, comeuppance and, you know, like watching these like horror movies where people get their eyes ripped out and like some hatchet level shit. No. When you sit back and actually think about what happened to them, yeah, it might not be like super gory on like first blush or something. But when you like literally start thinking about how they died being smothered to death under this dead weight of, of decomposition, I mean, it's pretty fucking horrible. You know, and and fuck movies like Hostel and shit like that. Like this is this shit is more scary to me than any of that bullshit. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So now you cut to Julie, who's in the flower room, and she's whimpering, she's crying, and she's stuck in the flower room because the door is jammed. Steve is stuck in the storage room because that door is jammed. 
cut to Olivia, who is going through the tunnel. <laughs> yep. Third time's a charm. <laughs> yep. And then you cut back to Julie and Steve, and the doors that were originally locked or shut tight open up on them. Hmm, interesting. Julie walks out looking like shit, <laughs> and you see the light from, you know, she's walking down the hallway, and Raymar's coffin or, or uh, grave is to her right, and you see the light kind of shining, and she's kind of being drawn to the light because you realize Raymar wants Julie, right? He wants, he wants her energy. Yeah. And so she starts freaking out and she runs and she runs right into Steve. Hey, Steve, save the day. Everything's fine. We're all good. And, and this is, this is, a this is probably what you're talking about where Steve, the acting is terrible because he's like, it's just a, this is just a prank. It was just Carol and Kitty. They're scaring you. And she's like, no, no, <laughs> no, it's, not. no. It's, it's way more than that, buddy. <laughs> right. He's like, no, Julie, listen. It's just those stupid girls. That's all. But it's over now. I'm here. You're safe. You're safe, okay? And she's like, yeah, okay. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And he your, goes, let's get out of here. Your Steve is here. <laughs> Steve, your Steve is here. And they turn. They turn around to go out. And they turn right into corpses standing in front of them. That's awesome. And then because also what I love is like the corpses, their eyes are closed too, for the most part, except for that very first one. For the rest of them, their eyes are closed. And I always like that. I always like that in, in Fulci's zombie film when, when they're walking around, their eyes are closed, but yet they can still sort of sense you. That, for some reason, I find that to be extremely freaky. Yeah, no, I, yeah, they're very disturbing looking. And uh, they basically. Steve and Julie are freaked out. They're backing down the hallway. The corpses are backing them towards Raymar. And at the same time, that's when Olivia shows up at the front of the mausoleum. <laughs> the the real hero to save the day, which is actually kind of cool. It's actually yes. kind of cool that Steve, the guy, isn't there to save the day. It's actually the, the, the lady. And I am saying that because it's 1981 slash 82, you know, it's released yep. in 82. So that's a, that's a fun little progressive thing to have, you know? Totally. Totally. No, it makes you're right. You're right. So Olivia runs in through the front of the uh, of the mausoleum and cut to Julie and Steve. Steve is looking for a way out. Julie's get she's now like getting hypnotized by Raymar Ray, and Raymar is pulling her towards him. She's floating. She's now floating towards Raymar. Mm -hmm. Steve screams out. Steve goes and punches one of the corpses, cracking its jaw off its face, which <laughs> that, is hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> and then you cut to Julie floating, a cool shot of her feet, her sweet Nike Cortez shoes. And, and it's uh, and it's cool because it's the same kind of sh thing that you see the corpses do. And, yes. and again, to Raymar, Julie is no different than one of the corpses, and it's no different than a fucking chair, you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's great. It's great connection there. Next thing you know, uh, Steve is like struggling and, a, and an arm pops out of one of the grave walls and just cold cocks Steve and knocks him out. <laughs> cold cock him. <laughs> he cold cocked him. Uh, Julie is now approaching Raymar. Raymar, uh, you see a shot of Julie's face like looking at Raymar and out of nowhere you see Raymar's arm come up in, with his hand and he's touching her face, which is yeah. really creepy. Yeah. And then uh, Olivia shows up. And shouts out, no! And then Raymar zaps Olivia with his energy to the ground. 
uh, her purse that she had around her arm falls to the ground and spills out her mirror. Mm-hmm. Again, remember that? Mm-hmm. Foreshadow. <laughs> Olivia finally gets up. She's looking all determined, approaches Braymar and says, you know, no. She, she grabs Raymar's, uh, she, she comes closer up to Raymar. She grabs Raymar's hand. That's like sucking the energy from Julie. And as soon as she pulls his hand away from Julie, Julie just falls by the wayside. And then Olivia like swaps spaces with Julie. But then Raymar like knocks her to the ground with his energy. Yeah, because he doesn't it, want her. That's what I, I thought no. that was kind of neat. He doesn't want his daughter. He he didn't want her to be involved in any of this to begin with. Even though he's evil, I like that little bit of humanity. Yeah, me too. And uh, so from there, he pulls Julie back up. <laughs> Julie like comes back <laughs> up. And then the corpses start to move in on Olivia, though. They start to move towards her, closer towards Olivia. Olivia goes and grabs her mirror from her purse and she shoves Julie out of the way. Julie just flops over again. It's pretty funny, actually. She's, yeah, poor, poor, poor Julie is just getting flung around. This girl is going to like need psychological therapy after this. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and she pulls the mirror out and puts it in Raymar's face. And the corpses continue to move in towards Julie. And then Raymar's lightning that he was shooting out shoots at the mirror and then shoots back at himself. And when it does, his face starts to like explode, almost like he's putting like shrinky dinks in an oven, just like bulbs up like um, like the, the crust of a pizza. Sometimes it just gets big, you know, disgusting, and then starts to melt. His face basically starts disintegrating. Dude, it is one of the best fucking villain deaths I've ever it's seen. Awesome. It is Awesome. Guys and gals, no matter what Zach says, will not do it justice. It has to be seen. Yeah, you have to, yeah, yeah. I'm just glazing over it really quickly. <laughs> you're glazing you, his, you, you're glazing my donut, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is it, it's on par with uh the face falling apart scene in poltergeist where yeah. you know yeah. the guy's face just <laughs> like just flops on the ground. Because that's what's happening. And it, as that happens, all the other corpses just kind of flop to the ground because the energy because Raymar's dead. Right. Yeah. He's officially killed his energy off. And I love and I love too. like after all of that and is like his fucking it's like a Mortal Kombat fatality to his face. And then after all of that, his fucking face, like his head, like caves in. It's yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. There was these um, kind of shitty toys from the the 80s called unfaceables or infaceables yeah yeah yeah, i remember that they had like this weird skin almost like a condom skin over the plastic and you could use like air or something that would like change their face when you pushed a button yeah i know kind of reminded me that yeah really gross they're they were gross looking yeah um like the packaging was great but the figure sucked anyways uh yeah so he's dead Officially. And again, I wrote PG movie, guys. PG movie. It's like on par again with Raiders of the Lost Ark as well. Dude, I mean, everything that I've seen so far in this movie, everything. And then all of a sudden, the fucking cherry on on the top is the the Raymar, like how he gets dispatched. It is so satisfying. It is so good. It is fantastic. So great. So great. And from there, Olivia checks on Julie to see if she's okay. She helps her up. Julie's okay. Then they go over to Steve. Julie's kind of standing in the back of them. 
because she can walk on her own. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Olivia helped up Steve because he's the one that got cold cocked. Yeah. And three of them walk out slowly. And you cut back to shots of the mausoleum and the dead bodies everywhere. And a shot of like Carol and Kitty's hands, like underneath the bodies. And then as you see the hands of their bodies, of Carol and Kitty's bodies, the camera pans up and you pans past the fucking yellow toothbrush. Yeah. And then I'm like, God damn it, man. Like really, you got to end it on that note. Um, And as soon as, and the camera kind of holds on the yellow toothbrush and then a body falls right in front of it. And there's a scream. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. It was a, you know what? I'm honestly, I, I, I saw it coming. I saw it coming a mile away. Still effective. Still works. Still effective. It works. And then from there, it cuts to the front of the mausoleum and the credits roll. There you have it, folks. One Dark Knight is one finished film. (laughs) Dude, add this one to all the other movies that you've shown me, that you've introduced me to. You know, fucking Strange Behavior, uh, Class of 1984, pretty much everything you bring to the table and uh and like all the other ones i was enamored with this film i thought it was uh, uh an absolute hoot um i thought it was perfect for october uh even if it's a pg film it, it's so atmospheric you know it, it had such a cool vibe to it and then on top of it it does so much different stuff that I feel like you haven't seen before. And you know what's funny? You haven't really seen since. It is a truly, truly unique horror movie experience. Uh, and I think one that everyone should see. Uh, and then just go in knowing like, like ah, man, the, the, the corpse thing at the end, it works so well, and I've thought about it so much. It, it could have been so terrible on paper. Like, these yeah. corpses are flying around, and and but honestly, the director does such a good job. He pulls it off well, and then the, the special effects people, they do a great job making the corpses look like corpses. You completely buy the fact they're not reanimated. They're just corpses that are getting used. Like, it's just... There's no volition to them. You know what I mean? The corpses yeah. aren't, there's nothing they want. They don't want brains or anything. So it's not a zombie movie. They're just being used. And and it's freaky. It's really fucking freaky. It's yeah, awesome, this, dude. Yeah, this is not a, this is not a zombie movie. No. This is not, you know, it borrows tropes from other films that we kind of already kind of touched upon. Um, but but it it's very much its own film. Uh, and it's, it's very cool. Yep. There, you know, there's been a handful of movies like this where they come out, they're under the radar. Gosh, there's a movie I'm blanking on the name right now. Oh, it's called soul survivor. Uh, mm. which, is Oh yeah. Basically... I, I remember, I remember that, 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 the poster it's, 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 yeah. uh, isn't, and I've never seen it, but I, that movie's basically final destination before final destination. Wasn't it? It is. It's final destination meets carnival of souls. Uh, the okay. old, uh, classic you know, not silent film, but, you know, black and white. Uh, it's kind of a combination of those two. And it's one of the, it was a Canadian movie. And it's the same, I bring that movie up with this because they're unique where there hasn't, like you said, there really hasn't been anything ever since that's quite like this. It's a very simple premise. Um, you know, don't remake this movie because 
it just doesn't hold up anymore. It's the same reason why you can never remake After Hours with Griffin Dunn because it's like everyone has cell phones nowadays, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't um, work. <laughs> it doesn't work. But this movie works. Yeah. It really does. The the things that make you annoyed or drive you nuts, by the end of it, you're like, okay, no, it all it all got wrapped up in a nice little button. Um, the great pro, great antagonists where you want to see them get their comeuppance, and they do get their comeuppance in the best way. And uh, you know, sympathetic antagonists, you feel bad for Julie, and you know, even if like little things here and there, like I said, don't really you know, match up or all that great. It's neither here nor there. By the end of the movie, you're like, Oh, that was a wild ride. It's fun. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. it. I'm glad. Uh, once again, I could pull the trigger and be like, Gage. hooked I, you. I loved it, bro. I, I loved it. I'm so glad I saw it. I, I'm so glad I, I have this under my belt now. And yeah, that's the biggest compliment I can give this movie is that it's a unique horror film you're not going to see anywhere else. So please go check it out, please. Yeah, go go get it. I mean, you all know that we're not going to steer you wrong, and that's what uh, free returns yeah. on Amazon are for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, And this movie is available, so it's on MVD. You can go get it. I, I just looked it up. It's 19.99 on Blu-ray. Guys and gals, fucking buy it and go watch it. It's awesome. And Cyberdyne, yet again, Cyberdyne, our pal, you have great taste, and I hope you enjoyed this review. <laughs> and uh, guys and gals, go check out Two Dollar Leafy. You know, you know the score. Go check out Two Dollar Leafy. Zach and Dustin are having a great time over there. I have a great time fucking talking to Zach and Dustin all the time, and you know, they're, they're, we're on like a mutual thread. We're always fucking goofing and everything. But uh, those guys, they, they they put on a great show over there. As I hope everyone uh, uh, saw, or, or actually, say, should I say, everyone heard when we did our Wraith Timber crossover event uh man i'm gonna be talking about that one until next year essentially because i had so much fun and uh, i hope everyone else had fun listening to it with uh you know with with dustin and everything and uh what you guys uh what's going on right now over two dollar leafy we're firing on all cylinders just like pad uh we just had a live in studio uh on camera North Shore reunion with John Philbin, our good buddy on Pad, and uh, and Matt Adler. Uh, that was very successful. Great interview. Uh, we've got upcoming. We've got an upcoming interview with the director of Revenge of the Nerds, which is a definite must listen because it's 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 he reveals a lot of stuff. Uh, he, he's writing a book right now, and he's considering one title called "The Bridges I Burned Along the Way." To give <laughs> you a hint awesome. of what kind of juicy details he's going to give you in that interview. So we'll be breaking down, well, not breaking down. We'll be talking about revenge and the nerds next month or for this month, actually month of October. Uh, and then the following month, we have an interview with Cynthia Rothrock, which we just did martial Ooh. arts superstar. It's worth noting. This is a direct quote from Cynthia after, after we just did our interview with her, she goes, was a lot of fun, not your typical interview. Thank you. And I'm nice. just going to say, you know, Corey and I, and Dustin and I have the knack of by the time we wrap up interviews with different guests, they always say that was really good or I really had a great time. So things you're going to hear in the interview we did with Cynthia are you're not going to hear anywhere else. Um, so keep an eye on out. Keep an eye on that. I don't want to reveal what the 
piggyback episode will be for that one because I I'll reveal it in the wrap up after dark okay. at the end of October. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, because it's it's kind of a it's kind of new territory for Dustin and I, so to speak. Nice. That's what we're doing over at Two Dollar Lafey. But uh, sleazy C. Besides Pad, you got caught right. <laughs> caught right. Caught right. Yeah, we're Adam and I are barreling through season seven. So I mean, we're way wow. over a hundred episodes. We're fucking. We're talking about the sponge. We're talking about the caddy. We're talking about the soup Nazi. We're into some iconic Seinfeld shit right now, guys and gals. It's fun. It's awesome. I love it. Love Seinfeld. And I know you do too, Zach. You're you're it's oh. funny because you and I don't talk about Seinfeld a lot. Like we're it's weird. It kind of never comes up, but yet you get all the references. And I was like, one day I was like, you you like Seinfeld, right? You're like, oh fuck yeah, I love Seinfeld. Of course I oh, do. Yeah. It's just it's weird. It's something you and I never really like connected with for some reason. No, but I watched it religiously. I watched it religiously back in the day. I never yeah. really watched the reruns. It's funny. I know people who like diehard friends watchers they watch that shit left and right it just wasn't i liked it too i watched every episode but i never rewatched it so uh yeah. like seinfeld shit man it's, it's yeah it's, it was my jam back in the day my jam oh, fuck yeah bro fucking seinfeld's awesome so go check out cartwright a seinfeld podcast uh, adam and i are also tackling curb your enthusiasm that's actually my first watch through watch through and that's on the uh cartwright patreon but uh, Zach and I have an interview tomorrow for uh, the podcast After Dark Patreon, and uh, that's going to be Tony Odell. And that's and he's from Otherworld, a TV Obscura show that Zach brought to the table that is fucking mind-blowing. And uh, he's also was in Karate Kid and Cobra Kai and everything, so we're super— Chopping ex- Mall. And Chopping, Chopping Mall, mall. Another, another movie that, like— so Zach and I are definitely going to bring that to the show, but the thing is, we both own it on Blu-ray, so we're both. So basically, it's. it's I don't own Chopping Mall. Oh, you don't? I thought you did. Nope. Oh shit. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, disregard everything I just said. I need to get you Chopping Mall on Blu-ray so we can do sure. it. Um. Uh. I think so. Reanimator, you have though, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So Reanimator is one of those movies where we're like we both own it on Blu-ray. And so we're just kind of just holding it for an emergency, essentially. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's no emergencies in sight for both of us for some time, but th- th- it is going to come. It and- will come. It, it has to. I mean, it, it has to. And and Chopping Mall will come, too, because I fucking love that movie as well. So, yeah, we we have we have uh, the, the Tony O'Dell interview. He, he was so gracious to come on our show. We'll be doing that the, the following after we record this episode. That'll be exclusive to Patreon. Worth definitely worth checking out. Um, we're we're going to be recording that in less than twelve hours. Yes. <laughs> and then we have a big one coming next week. Uh, not to say that Tony O'Dell's not big, but uh, a personal favorite of mine from a childhood film. But uh, you know, we don't want to announce it too soon because a lot of things can always happen. Even within seven days, a lot of things can always happen. But look for Tony O'Dell to be coming soon, and I can't wait to talk about talk to him. Super, super excited. Guys and gals, go check out our Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. Check out our website. Check out all the shows on the BFOP network. Talking back, our pals Tim and Dean are freaking awesome. Uh, Blast from our past, Adam and John. Fucking uh, action, action. And all the our Canadian pals over there fucking having a good time. So, so much Canada. I love so, it. So much Canada. Oh, Canada. So check them all out. Of course, check out $2 Lafey and 
uh, yeah, One Dark Night. Wow, what an awesome movie. If you haven't seen it, I say 100% go check it out. What a fun time. And as always, Zach, thank you so, so much. It is my pleasure. (laughs) And as we always say, we'll catch you on the dark side. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.